Hello, folks, and welcome to The Farm, a podcast dedicated to culture, parapolitics, and high weirdness in all its many forms. This is your host, Recluse, a.k.a. Steven Snyder, the longtime curator of the Visa blog and author of A Special Relationship, Trump, Epstein, and The Secret History of the Anglo-American Establishment. If you like what you hear here today, be sure to check me out at visupview.blogspot.com. That's V-I-S-U-P-V-I-E-W, all one word, .blogspot.com. And procure a copy of a Special Relationship and my other works at the Farm's official store, which is at eFarmPodcast, all one word, eFarmPodcast.store. And please consider signing up for the Farm's Patreon. You get two additional full-length shows per month. That's between three and four hours of bonus materials with exclusive gifts and content. All right, today's guest is an esoteric philosopher and occultist. He was a one-time collaborator of Michael Bertrio and has since gone his own way. He is involved with the Voodoo Gnostic Society, the White Gnostic Artinia, sorry, and the uh, Fraternus Borealis, among others. He is also the author of uh, Voodoo Gnosis and the co-founder of Theon Publishing. Folks, I give you guys the great David Beth. Well, thank you so much. Uh, I'm very happy to be on your show. I enjoy your show very much. So, hey, let's see where we can go with this today. Yes, absolutely, sir. And it is a pleasure to have you on. Today's discussion is going to revolve around David's concept of the cosmic gnosis and how the entity Saturn relates. Now, we've been looking at Saturn a lot of late on the farm. I'd urge listeners to check out my interview with Peter Mark Adams on the subscriber section to get a broader overview of the classical perception of Saturn. Here, we're mainly concerned with more contemporary manifestations. That means the Brotherhood of Saturn will be up for discussion along with a few manifestations of the Lovecraft Gnosis, as I call it, and as many of you are aware, a subject that I never grow tired of speaking about. And that's only scratching the surface. This is going to be a deep esoteric discussion. So let us get going here. So, all right, sir, to start off with, uh, let's go over the cosmic gnosis. There's a lot to unpack here. A good entry point may be the literal beginning of the cosmos. There's sort of a tall, short order there. So first off, how is the cosmos, which you spell with a K, differed from the standard cosmos with a C? And how did body and soul come into being? Well, I guess um, no, no, no person in the in the world, when they think about um, uh, the world they live in, uh, can live without some type of idea of how a cosmos came into being. I guess we will never know. We don't really know how the cosmos came into being, or how body and soul really truly came into being. I guess we can only speculate on those things. Um, so for me, it is important that any. Th- let's call it mythical symbology, um, which will help us maybe to understand our current place and our current um, uh, way of interacting within the cosmos. Um, I guess we have to understand how these mechanisms work in order to have um, a suitable myth in um, which we can place some type of origin. So um, I spell like you correctly observed the cosmos with a K, Um, rather than a C for various reasons, because I believe there to be a cosmos, um, a primordial type of cosmos, um, which exists alongside the cosmos we experience now as real, um, but which um, basically works along different rules and different laws. So I believe this cosmos spelled with a K to be... um, 
premier, to be more holistic, to be more powerful, and to be more true to the nature of life itself. The cosmos with a K is the cosmos I uh, contrast to that, the cosmos we live in now, the cosmos that is um, basically uh, structured according to logocentrism, uh, logocentric rules, rational um, deduction, and um, uh, the place that we know as, uh, in the Western world especially, that we know as uh, the place that humanity um, lives in on this little um, planet of ours. Uh, also, Cosmos of the K is spelled as a small homage to the um, Cosmicer circle um, of German mystics and philosophers, which has been quite instrumental um, to me in my own formulations of um, basically the metaphysical backdrop of um, my esoteric um, work and my, um, well, uh, magical world we, uh, worldview, you could say. So um, to quickly, because um, I guess some of your further questions will uh, go into a more detail there as well. However, to more um, simply uh, differentiate the cosmos with a K from the cosmos with a C is that um, the cosmos with a K uh, is based on a type of maternal law. I believe um, in, if you want to use a symbolic language, that um, rather than being uh, ordered to come into being by uh, the um, pronounced decision of a deity, um, of a transcendental deity, um, the cosmos uh, was born from uh, a type of, let's call it um, primordial chaos. And I believe chaos is not um, an antagonist to cosmos, but I believe that chaos basically becomes then the maternal, which um, encompasses that which is cosmos. So basically chaos uh, became pregnant and gave birth to cosmos, then becoming the martyr, um, within which um, the cosmic um, life then takes place. So um, basically uh, there are two cosmic models based on completely different structures. The one cosmic model with a C, the one that we know is real in our everyday life, is a cosmos that is structured by vertical laws, by a type of um, having been ordered into being by a transcendental deity that is um, detached from this cosmos um, in one form or another, um, sometimes more, sometimes less radical. And another type of cosmos with a K um, where the cosmos um, is independent from any type of transcendental overlord that has ordered it into being or um, where uh, the cosmos is some type of dense degenerative form of a lofty ideal idea or um, uh, pleromic reality. So um, I believe the cosmos with a K to be a type of holistic um, uh, uh, arena in which life takes place and um, which is um, based on some type of integral holistic laws which are totally different to the laws which we encounter in the cosmos with the, uh, with the sea. So there is a um, there is an, uh, so called we could call it an antagonism there, a type of um, uh, a type of a parallel realities, um, one um, trying to uh, one excluding the other or one basically, um, 
culling its place out of the other, the cosmos of the sea, basically culling its reality um, from the cosmos of the K, which is the more underlying, more um, uh, primordial um, early form. Um, then you asked uh, how body and soul came into being. Well, I believe um, uh, the birth of the cosmos um, basically um, fashioned, or the cosmos basically is fashioned um, and structured in body and soul. I believe the cosmos, and I follow Ludwig Klages' um, uh, highly uh, exciting uh, theories here. Um, uh, I believe that the cosmos with a K, the maternal cosmos born from chaos, where chaos turns into cosmos, um, is structured in the polarities of body and soul. I believe uh, here body not to be uh, necessarily a corporeal type of idea. When we hear body, we would think about a human body or an animal body, something we can touch. Here body is much more um, fundamental. You could call it phenomenal. So I believe um, the cosmos to be structured into the phenomena and the souls or the force which makes the phenomena appear. So for example, um, to uh, engage something a little more abstract, for example, I believe time to be the soul um, of space, which is its body, or... Um, uh, 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 you say example, space, you, you mean like outer space, correct? I mean like spa space in general, like um, if, you if you use like time and space okay, as, okay, as okay. categories. I just am trying so, to see if you mean like just space kind of uh, in general or like No, you like galactic space. space. Yes, yes. So, um, so, so no, the category of space and time. So time and space um, uh, pertain each other. They need each other. They kind of like, um, you know, inter they have an interaction and interplay. The one cannot function properly without the other. And that's the case with um, every other phenomenal appearance. For example, um, uh, uh, dreams, uh, the dream is a phenomenal reality, which then has um, an ensouled uh, reason to be or to, uh, to appear. Same as a cloud um, or any type of phenomenal uh, appearance you may encounter in the world um, always has an enthusing force, which makes it appear. So uh, this type of interaction, same as a human being, and make, a, make it a little easier. So the, um, the body um, of a human being or the soul of a human being gives manifestation to the body of the human being. And um, uh, uh, the body and the soul have a very, very intimate um, interaction with each other. Um, the, the body allows us to uh, through its channels, interact with the world and allows the soul to experience things, um, the interaction with other uh, souls, which we interact with through their phenomenal appearance, you could say. So um, it, sounds, it sounds a little bit um, uh, abstract and complicated, but um, I think in the course of our conversation, you will see that that's actually not the case. It's quite simple. Um, but one has to sometimes go into a little bit more abstract territory because it's, we basically have to unlearn um, a lot of things which we um, are used to when we describe our everyday experiences and the world we live in. So um, uh, basically, how did everything come into being? We cannot know that. 
because we haven't been there or uh, there is no there is no there is no way of knowing that but the models we use to explain the coming into being of the world or the reality we find ourselves in usually follows a model that um, is close to the experience of the world that we have in the in the here and now so the christians or the the, the logocentric traditions have a god which um, orders the world into being um, biocentric let's call it traditions um, usually have a type of birth process um, and um, uh, explain a cosmic um, reality based on very often very different laws than a logocentric um, uh, a vertical ordering from above out of curiosity like with your two distinctions between cosmos with a k and a c um would that possibly be somewhat akin to something like uh like baudrillard's concept of the simulator and simulation or, or am i way off base with that well if i would be very familiar with that concept i could actually probably answer that but um i wouldn't really um feel competent to really um, uh, comment on that, but if you explain to me um, what you think that concept is, then I could probably easier uh, uh, um, give my opinion on it. Um, but well, I'm not really familiar with Baudrillard's um, work. It's a bit complicated, um, but essentially he argued that, uh, especially in recent times, like the reality that we lived in was a kind of imitation, I suppose you would say, to the actual yes. world, if you will. Uh, it's a bit complicated, but it sort of went into like his read with um, science fiction. It's actually rather mm -hmm. remarkable. He came up with these theories, I think, in the 70s uh, upon reading uh, Crash by Ballard. Mm -hmm. um, God only knows mm -hmm. if he had thought of this later with the cyberpunk. Yes. Movement. But basically, there was the notion that science fiction was now dictating reality, like rather than being an artistic expression, it was actually predicting the reality that we were going into. And I think that's actually become even more evident with like the rise of cyberpunk in the 80s. I mean, now we're essentially, you know, living in the world that uh, William Gibson perceived of, uh, you know, 40 years ago in a lot of cases. So right. it was almost like uh, the reality that we are now existing in has become so fundamentally blurred and detached uh, from, I guess, a more Absolutely. pure kind of existence, if you will. Yes, you're absolutely right. So um, you're going in the absolutely right direction. That's exactly um, more or less how I would um, describe it myself. I believe the world we live now, uh, live in now, or the world we perceive to be real, is a type of uh, simulacrum of the world um, that preceded it in experience. So I believe, uh, and you will probably ask me this later, that um, the logos or the spirit, this faculty within us. And there is a faculty, uh, a disturbing factor within us, um, which uh, basically creates that type of, um, you call it the detachment, you know, a, a type of alienation, which takes, us away, which takes us out of that very holistic engagement with the forces of the world, which does not anymore allow us to be one demonic, phenomenal, um, ensouled phenomenon, which is able to interact in a very, very holistic way with the demonic forces of the cosmos. But um, something changed within our setup, which then uh, basically um, created a type of distorted consciousness, which separated us from that demonic reality. And um, this faculty then uh, basically starts to 
artificially create a world out of the flowing, um, like uh, Heraclitus would say, this kind of uh, the flux, the flux of reality um, gets stifled um, by our conscious processes. And basically what happens is that um, from this engagement um, with a flowing reality of images, um, uh, of forces uh, uh, that creates our experience uh, of the world, um, we now have uh, basically a world um, uh, where we uh, cull um, scientifically and rationally understandable um, uh, 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 bits and pieces out of that flow and um, basically have an artificial world where um, the images and the experiences are no longer um, in that flowing context um, uh, which we have encountered previously. So, um, and the result of this is, as you said, continuous alienation and um, uh, continuous detachment, um, a, feeling, uh, a feeling of alienation um, within the cosmos, uh, a feeling of we do not belong here, you know, that typical Gnostic um, idea of we are, we are strangers um, in this cosmos because we no longer have the faculty and the ability to connect to it in a meaningful way. So then that either leads then to a possible exploitation, you know, like we read in the Bible, make the world your, um, what is, I don't know how exactly it is in English. Um, uh, I, I, I know it's a dominion or, over the earth, I believe. Exactly, or... exert dominion over the earth and uh, the animals and so forth. And um, so um, the anthropocentric reality then becomes that of domination and um, acquisition. Um, or it is a type of uh, feeling of despair and nihilism and uh, we do not belong here. We do not feel that this is the place um, uh, we can feel at home. So there needs to be a projection outwards and, um, you know, leading to a type of pleroma, a type of, you know, fantastic um, afterworld, which we create in uh, the images, uh, which are most pleasing to us, um, which, however, uh, which, however, most often do not lead to a better life, um, except uh, if you are so convincing in that self-hypnosis um, that you actually manage to uh, blind yourself um, away from the realities you live in, um, in the hopes of a, um, a better future or, um, you know, a type of um, meditative state, which basically blocks out any type of external um, influences. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's almost become like a pathology for our um, species, really, to try to make our world or our reality rather more and more artificial, exactly. uh, you know, with all of our technologies and so forth. It's fascinating. Exactly. Horrifying. <laughs> it's horrifying. I mean, I remember, um, probably so do you, I mean, we're, uh, I don't know if we're the same generation, but um, I grew up in the 80s and 90s, and um, I remember things like Second Life and even uh, worse now, all the kids, you know, um, I, have a, I have a son and, uh, you know, all these kids, you know, which spend their time in a virtual reality. And um, even we, you know, with, uh, you know, people being on Twitter, on TikTok, on Instagram, and, you know, have like a million social media realities um, created for themselves. And, you know, the, the, the image of themselves that they project out into the virtual world is oftentimes, of course, a lot more important to them uh, than the person um, and the actual reality they have in their um, 
uh, a world outside that reality because and you can see people literally spending more time um, investing into that persona which they project into um, the virtual reality than they um, invest into um, creating their uh, tangible uh, world where they live and that's um, like you said it's 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 a it's a continuous alienation um, outside that uh, natural cosmos into some type of abstract space into some type of mental space um and uh yeah which just shows um that type of escapism um which we prefer in order to drown out the alienation we feel in the reality um the despair we feel when we see how the planet is being um, raped in regards to resources and um, so forth and um, even many of those um, uh, movements, um, I don't know, save the planet and so forth, um, are not really um, carrying um, the essential understanding that the phenomenal world which we try to save is safe worthy because it is integral in itself. But um, usually uh, uh, we want to save it because we are afraid of the disaster that happens to us when we do not do anything, people are afraid of climate change because I don't know, it may um, you know, drown their islands or um, drown their shores or uh, make things more expensive or um, basically destroy uh, the basis for our human life. So it is less out of concern for the biocentric reality and our understanding of our need basically to interact with that reality in a, a, a constructive way, but it's more out of that um, uh, dominating humanocentric view that if we don't do something, we're going to go down, you see. Um, so yeah, um, yeah the I tendencies mean... that you described so well, um, whether it's virtual realities or any type of other escapisms, um, even even many new age or, 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 or magical or esoteric um, pursuits, of course, um, have exactly the same goal the promise of a type of alternative um, reality of the mind, something that's um, unconnected or subservient to the material, physical, sublunar, um, tellurian reality in which we find ourselves. And that for me is a very dangerous process, a very dangerous tendency. And my esoteric work counters um, such type of tendencies and uh, is firmly rooted in an anti-transcendental um, kind of Tellurian um, work rather than, well, yeah, um, a type of uh, humanocentric um, domination of the mind. All right, so let's get into this fable golden age here. So uh, I know you've mentioned this a little bit before, but could you give us a broader overview of what you refer to as a demonic consciousness? Uh, where um, when we say demonic, we mean with a a e, uh, not just with the e, yes. uh, more Damianic, uh, as we would usually say in English. Um, yes, yes. So to differentiate between the Christian perspective of this. So anyway, yes, uh, yes. what was the there's no moral category here. Okay, so what was the state that humanity existed in with this consciousness at the beginning? What was it like? Right. Um, well, I, I believe from my own experiences, um, from let's call it uh, metaphysical um, speculation, 
and then backed up when you asked me personally and then backed up with my own esoteric experiences um you probably know that i'm an initiated uh, voodoo priest i've been ordained or initiated in haiti as a, as a voodoo priest and have lived basically 20 years in africa and uh, brazil and such places um uh, studying and, and and pursuing the um local um biocentric and and, and, and esoteric systems um so um, I believe that what we could call a daemonic consciousness um, or a primordial consciousness in, in that sense, or uh, a soul consciousness, the German romantics would have called it night consciousness rather than a day consciousness dominated by the rational faculties, um, is a type of um, pathic, a more pathic type of holistic visionary engagement with the um, phenomenal enthusing forces that you can encounter in the world. And I'll try to give a few examples to make this um, a lot easier. Um, if we come back to the point where we defined the cosmos as being polarized into um, body and soul, then um, if we look around in the world, we see forests, trees, mountains, other humans, animals, um, uh, uh, rocks uh, and so forth as phenomenal appearances, which in my conviction have um, a type of potentially enthusing force. Um, they have some type of an uh, installed force which they uh, uh, transmit through their corporeal shapes. That means, for example, um, and everyone has probably had that when you sit um, sometimes, let's say you're on holidays and you sit um, at a nice, at a, at a nice beachfront and you, um, you know, gaze at the sundown and, um, you know, probably everyone has had that gazing at a, at, at a great uh, natural spectacle that suddenly, you know, you, you have a loss of time. You kind of like you're being absorbed into that which you are looking at. And um, only a few seconds or a few moments later, do you basically return to yourself. So you've basically lost track of yourself for a moment and you have become completely absorbed into the experience of that which you have seen. So um, what actually happened is that the splendor of the sundown or um, the, uh, 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 the, the hailstorm or whatever it is that you were um, observing and which basically absorbed you, basically drew you out of yourself. It actually overcame you in a sense that your rational um, identity of I am me, that kind of rational knowledge of who you are has been basically uh, been destroyed. So, um, however, you have not vanished, but you have been, you have still been there. So what happened was an encounter between your own soul, let's call it, your own demonic self and the demonic um, uh, uh, external force, which basically impacted on you. So there was a type of gamos, um, a type of erotic fusion between you and the world. Um, the same thing happens um, in my opinion, for example, in a voodoo ritual, when um, there is a moment of possession where um, the uh, abandoning of uh, the voodoo song in dance and um, uh, uh, 
sound um, uh, helps the initiate to basically um, come into a state where the rational identity collapses, the uh, uh, border, that um, obstacle um, uh, crashes, and uh, the force that the voodoo song wants to engage with that usually also is uh, comes with um, of course uh, a type of phenomenal appearance then overcomes you and the voodoo song the initiate um, connects with that force in um, a way that is not a rational um, uh, discursive analytical way but it's a type of um, uh, 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 demonic overcoming um, and there are various degrees of this. So um, I believe that the primordial consciousness um, allowed a type of uh, visionary experience of the world. And visionary here, I mean, uh, not only regarding eyesight. It's not something that you necessarily only see, but it's a complete um, whole body experience. Um, it can be feelings. It can be um, smells. Uh, it can basically uh, engage all the senses of uh, uh, the human um, the human structure. So uh, this kind of ability to um, live within your own demonic reality, which is as yet either unhindered or has been freed from the faculty which forces us to engage with the world in a rational discursive way. Um, this uh, demonic self now engages with the world in an intimate way, in a way that is not based on logos, but is based on eros. So um, it is uh, 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 probably more akin to a type of dream state, to a type of, um, uh, uh, a type, it's a type of way of engaging with the world that um, is best then spoken about in symbols rather than in um, rational uh, terms because um, it allows us to um, experience more and deeper um, what this reality is that we actually live in and it also allows us to experience ourselves in a completely different way from which we are experience ourselves which usually is very different from the world we encounter it's us that encounters something foreign, something alien, something other, when the erotic fusion with the demonic atmospheres take place, um, this kind of borderline collapses and um, a type of fusion takes place, uh, which then also allows us in retrospect to understand that um, uh, um, the type of idea that we have of ourselves as a person, as a holistic um, type of structure that uh, constantly must be defended against intrusions because our holistic self um, uh, is uh, fragile, um, vanishes. But we, um, we become aware of ourselves as something that's open, that's constantly changing, that's fleeting, that is um, the opposite of um, a monad or something like that. So all the uh, Western attempts to basically, including um, uh, um, psychoanalytical, for example, attempts of um, basically unearthing um, all the unconscious processes in order to bring them to light, to our attention, and to bring them to our rational 
um, understanding in order to basically complete um, the uh, process of making us whole into a monad is completely foreign to a biocentric understanding um, of the person as something that's constantly configurating itself anew because this is what the world is, a constantly changing, metamorphosing, transforming type of process. So even the human is um, embedded naturally into a type of process rather than standing against that process by defending some type of perceived holistic self, which is actually the faculty of the um, uh, uh, rational self-consciousness that forces us to do so. Um, yeah, so the primordial consciousness is um, our way uh, of engaging with the cosmos in a much more holistic way that shows us our integral place within it and also showing us that we are that we and the demonic atmospheres that and I, I'm, I'm deliberately not saying gods because gods when I say gods um, immediately there's kind of a, a false idea of what that really means and there's a hierarchical idea about it um, rather than gods I want to say demonic powers because there are myriad of those um, and there is no hierarchy um, between them really so um, uh, I believe that um, uh, uh, our ability to find ourselves in the cosmos as constantly changing and metamorphosing um, processes rather than a firm fixed persona um, will help us uh, to understand um, much better our place in the reality that we uh, move within. And um, we'll take a, a lot of fear away of death and a lot of fear of alienation and nihilism. But of course, people have to experience it. If they don't, it stays a theory that to some sound good, to some sound outlandish, um, but without experiencing it, um, it will, um, I guess, not really uh, help a lot of people. Yeah, I mean, personal experience, I mean, is, I think, crucial to a lot of it. And, you know, I think that's kind of an underlining factor, too, with the uh, the rise of the spiritual uh, but not religious movement um you know again as deeply flawed as it is in so many levels i think that uh, for a lot of people it's an attempt to try to experience something rather than um you know just kind of going to a church or a temple Absolutely. or something like that and sitting in a booth and yeah um all right so how does eroticism play into the primordial state can you elaborate on that for us yeah, um, I think I already um, kind of like hinted at it. I believe that um, the cosmos that we experience with our rational self-conscious mind um, <clears throat> is a cosmos that structures, uh, that's structured by logos, right? It's structured by laws from above, um, by rational consciousness, um, by rational, rational analysis and deduction, um, while the cosmos that preceded it um, is not structured in that kind of hierarchical fashion, but um, it is basically a type of network of um, magnetisms. Um, when the cosmos was born, let's say, uh, and it was structured in body and soul, there were um, the entire world was structured in polarities. And um, all the polarities 
um, interact with each other, just as the mountain, for example, unconsciously um, uh, commutes with the sky, um, just as a tree uh, commutes uh, with the clouds and the, the, the sky and the sun, um, or we commute in a more visionary way, uh, because only in the human um, soul um, do the images come to appearance. Um, uh, in the other, in animals and, and, and the more elemental plants and the more elemental um, uh, phenomenal appearances, um, the, uh, the, the images uh, impact on them in a more dream state-ish way. They are not these, uh, they're not so awake in that conscious, night conscious way as we are. The soul doesn't perceive the images in that um, holistic um, uh, sense. However, um, uh, uh, what allows us to engage uh, with the phenomenal realities of the world, that which allows us to um, become overwhelmed um, when we uh, are seduced by the beautiful uh, 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 natural um, splendor we observe or the beautiful gemstone that we um, look at and suddenly um, we lose ourselves in it or um, that type of seduction, the type of uh, seduction uh, that is that magnetism which allows the uh, images of the world to interact. Um, this is what uh, Ludwig Klages um, has called eros. So um, instead of the logos ruling the world, it's the web and the magnetisms of an, a type of eros, however, which is not um, necessarily um, bound to sexuality. It's an eros that's much greater than that. It's, um, you know, you could have basically in that sense an erotic, um, uh, it would be an erotic experience of, uh, you know, um, a painting. Uh, or it could be the erotic um, seduction of um, uh, a forest that you see um, in the uh, last rays of the um, setting sun um, that overwhelms you. So when you feel that you're being overwhelmed by something, could also be the love for a person, could also be, of course, within an erotic uh, liaison, um, and then that's uh, the type of eros, which kind of like grips hold of us and shapes our reality. So rather than um, a rational logos, a rational consciousness, a rational faculty shaping um, the experience of the world that we have, it is a much more um, sensuous um, and uh, erotic um, in that fundamental sense where we uh, are drawn out of ourselves, where we overcome, where we're overwhelmed, um, a type of experience um, that we uh, have with the world potentially. Um, but for this to happen, for these ecstasies um, to happen, um, that type of faculty, um, this rational faculty, which keeps us um, imprisoned um, in that um, cosmic with a C type of reality must break down. Bataille wrote a lot of uh, stuff on that and he's very close to Klages. Um, in that sense. And, um, you know, he spoke about um, radical rituals and um, erotic, um, radical erotic experiences or any type of those um, radical experiences which help us to collapse that sense of identity um, in order to make room for another faculty, 
the demonic self, let's call it, um, to um, give us another sense um, of reality, um, a deeper sense of the reality um, which we live in, which is then not anymore an alienating reality, but something that we can um, uh, uh, relate with in that intimate way um, where any rational um, contemplation of it is already a type of um, reduction of that experience, because that experience in itself is so deep and overwhelming that any kind of contemplation and um, realization afterwards already is an alienation from that experience. Um, so Eros is basically the web of magnetism um, within which those transactions or uh, within which those um, uh, engagements um, between the phenomenal uh, appearances becomes possible. The mating of the souls of the world is based on Eros facilitating that connection. Does that make any sense? Yeah, no, I'm, I'm kind of reminded also of some of, um, at least via, uh, that I picked up via Culliano, um, Bruno's theories about Eros, um, essentially, you know, using that as the basis of uh, magical rituals for persuasion and that kind of thing, um, you know, mm -hmm. basically the, uh, the foundation for what he referred to as the chain. But um, mm -hmm. anyway, let's see here. So uh, historical time uh, began with the introduction of spirit. Can you get into that and how it differentiates from soul? Yeah, so um, spirit is just the term um, that Ludwig Klages, for example, uh, and I can really um, just recommend anyone to buy his book um, of Cosmogonic Eros, um, in which he actually does a monograph on, on, on that type of Eros, um, which is that elemental force binding that demonic world together. Um, Sam Publishing is just releasing a second edition of it. It's, um, it's, a, it's a fascinating work, um, honestly. Um, and um, uh, well, spirit is that faculty which at one point um, in the course of human um, development um, took hold within the metaphysical setup of humanity and developed that type of rational self-consciousness, which now has become the norm when we try to um, experience who we are, that a sense of I am, that, that certain um, a, a sense of um, individuality, um, that thriving towards individuation, that uh, basically glorification of the monadic, insulated um, ego eye. Um, that type of uh, 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 reality is um, produced by the spirit. And even um, if you can encounter spiritual groups, of course, who say like, well, the ego eye is really bad, but we have to, I don't know, um, connect with the uber eye, you know, with God, uh, with, the, with the uber monad, um, uh, with a transcendental source, um, then that's just a projection um, of that uh, ego eye into some type of abstract transcendental space. Um, but it's virtually the same process. It's, um, it's the process which... Um, more and more in the in the course of human history um, made it difficult for uh, humanity to break through 
to that um, demonic reality. And you can already see it also in, 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 in classical times, um, uh, more radical rituals were needed, um, you know, to, to, to emphasize the uh, uh, demonic reality over the rational uh, reality. Then of course the platonic ideas um, were introduced where, um, you know, you can already see that, um, uh, that movement uh, towards um, a transcendentalism um, away from that seductive um, material Tellurian reality um, and um, a type of a type of turning point then um, uh, took place where that glorification or not even a glorification but the affirmation of the maternal world um, the affirmation of um, the flaring up and dying um, the uh, transient, the glorification of the transient versus the um, now up and coming um, uh, uh, domination of the static, which is then the paternal world. Um, uh, then basically uh, uh, was more and more um, driven forward by that parasitical force within the metaphysical body um, that I call uh, the spirit, or you can call it whatever, whatever someone wants to call it. Somebody, some people call it the logos. Um, some people call it um, whatever else, depending on system that you uh, operate in, um, rational mind, uh, stuff like that. Um, of course, I believe that um, with the uh, rise of the Abrahamic logocentric religions, um, the final death blow was basically dealt um, to that maternal Tellurian world, um, where suddenly um, you had a, a, a high god in the heavens, in the um, <clears throat> transcendental realms. Um, so basically the, the Uranian vault has split off from um, the uh, 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 Tellurian reality, the, the, the male aspect of the Tellurian reality has basically lifted off and um, insulated itself in the uh, fantasy of a transcendence. Um, and the spirit uh, basically produced uh, those religions and uh, those um, uh, forms of uh, spirituality which um, then uh, uh, drew the person further and further out from the world and uh, further and further emphasized his non-belonging into the world uh, that um, the, uh, the human being found itself in. So um, the spirit basically is the faculty that analyzes, um, reduces, uh, cuts, repeatable units out from the flowing process of the world. Um, it uh, basically, um, to use a, a very interesting example that Klages uses um, in one of his writings is um, uh, when you look out into, uh, from your window into a forest, um, for the logocentric person, um, for the spirit dominated person, that forest is always the same forest every day he looks out of that window. Um, it's the forest in front of his house, and it doesn't matter if that forest uh, is seen in the daytime, in the nighttime, in a in a in a rainstorm, or um, in twilight. It's always the same forest, and um, some kind of impressions may change, but it's always definable and, and identifiable as that same forest. Um, 
a biocentric experience of that forest would be non-repeatable and only tied to the moment where you experience it. You would gaze out into the forest to uh, the degree where then you are being absorbed and overcome by that type of um, a demonic potential or that demonic essence um, which that um, demonic forest or the, or the daemon of the forest has, the genius Loki basically overcomes you and then gives you some type of experience of this forest. Um, painters would probably then paint it um, sometimes even to the degree where you um, couldn't even dis uh, determine that that's actually a forest they're painting, but what they are painting is that visionary experience which they had when that demonic force, the demonic power of that forest overcame them uh, when they opened their soul to the degree that that's possible. So, however, that is also that forest. Um, but that experience is never repeatable. The next time you are in that ec ecstatic, erotic communion with the forest, it may be in a different time where the forest is under a different light or under a different, um, uh, in a different daytime. Um, or within a rainstorm, and before that it was in, in, in sunlight. So the, the, the genius Loki will um, reveal itself in slightly different form. So the world, the flowing reality never repeats itself. So what the spirit does is it creates a world of artificial units. It allows us to define, um, analyze, relate, and never in symbolic form, but always in highly abstract senses. So um, that is not necessarily a bad thing if we would, however, um, be able to experience the world in that holistic fashion as well. Um, but usually most people um, at least cannot do that. So um, that type of the reduced um, alienating reality with the world is what um, predominates their experience. So uh, the spirit is that force which um, prevents us from exercising um, and experiencing the world and ourselves as that what, what we originally were. Um, demonic um, experiences ourselves, demonic forces, which are never holistically um, definable, but always changing, always metamorphosing. Um, and this is also still um, if I can um, kind of like make a little detour here in case um, I'm not uh, taking too long to um, uh, spend on this topic here, but you can still see this in many Afrocentric religions where um, the idea of a um, holistic person in the sense of the West is completely um, unknown there, but there the, uh, the person um, uh, that we are uh, are uh, basically are a puzzle piece of different components of an ancestral soul, of um, of a spirit, of a governing spirit, of um, a lot of different um, faculties, which um, basically um, make us who we are. And then there is always that type of um, black hole, I call it, which connects us to the cosmic forces. So that is why at any time, um, components can be exchanged. Um, sorcerers can take something out and put something else in, or something involuntarily comes in, or something can be voluntarily put out. So the idea and understanding that we are, rather than a finite person that has to fear its death, we are rather an event, that we are rather um, you know, a composition of constantly changing um, 
compartments, which uh, when put together um, and uh, configured in that specific sense of us um, is something unique. It's a life process tied to unique configuration, but that's never static. Um, and this is uh, what the spirit um, destroys for us. This type of um, a natural way to relate to the cosmos because the cosmos works on those types of processes. It works in these lines. It works in that constantly flowing, configurating and reconfigurating um, terms. This has been stolen from us. Um, and because we are no longer able to experience this, the cosmos has become a strange and scary place um, where we have to be constantly afraid of death, annihilation, and um, yeah, um, constantly uh, basically focus on a future that promises us better times and um, uh, better days. Uh, and the spirit is responsible for that. All right, so is this somewhat uh, relatable uh, to what you're describing to the transition uh, that you know is kind of uh, put forth in some of the theories around the uh, the so-called uh, was it uh, by Samaro mind? Um, it's basically I, um, like the notion yeah. that um, <clears throat> I think it was around the time of the Trojan War. This is when uh, the ego, as we know it, uh, in a Freudian sense, kind of came into being sort of like the beginning of individuality, whereas previously it hadn't really been known up to that point. Well, um, I, I faintly, faintly remember um, a book by, is it Julian Jane or something? Um, who actually wrote about this. Uh, I'm not entirely sure this, off the top of my head who put forth the theory. I think that's that's him. However, um, I, I remember actually looking into this um, a long, long time ago. Um, but uh, what I, yeah, you could say that such types of um, think uh, such types of theories go into the into the right direction in the sense that they acknowledge uh, a type of fundamentally different world experience of the ancients in comparison to us today, um, which also, if I can just mention this quickly, um, also, um, of course, must be very worrying um, uh, to us when we look at all these kind of um, religious reconstructionisms and stuff like this. Um, it must be absolutely crystal clear to everyone that an ancient uh, uh, Greek initiate of the mysteries, I don't know, um, uh, 2,500 years ago, or um, an ancient um, Chaldean had a completely different experience of the world because of um, maybe that type of psychological setup or um, because of whatever other reasons. Um, so uh, of course, uh, to, uh, for us to understand uh, the motivations and the uh, way of life these peoples uh, have lived without the understanding of the um, primordial consciousness, um, if we do not have it ourselves, is very difficult. And this is, of course, why also um, there, there had been that um, theory of constant progression and development from primitive times to constantly more modern, more developed, more civilized uh, times. And it was unthinkable that maybe um, uh, historical people were not um, uh, super superstitious. It's just maybe, however, for me and, and for you probably, it's clear that um, that what we call superstition because we cannot understand the reasoning for their rituals or for their belief in certain spirits is not based on superstition, but it's because based on an experience which we can no longer um, uh, have ourselves. 
So um, uh, the, the, the problem I have with these kind of psychological models um, is that they're also always humanocentric. Usually um, they um, explain changes in perception um, only out of the human um, mind itself. The outer world um, usually doesn't um, take an important place. The outer world either doesn't exist at all and it's just a projection of our experiences within, um, or um, they are just kind of like screens with which our mind then um, uh, projects things. So um, what probably um, differentiates uh, uh, any type of um, biocentric uh, life philosophical in that most fundamental sense um, uh, 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 tendencies, what's, what, what differentiates them from those types of uh, psychological models is that the external world, the natural world, that which is not within our mind has an integral place um, in the world. And it is um, as important as we are ourselves to make the world as it is or to create a holistic reality of the world. So um, I shy away uh, for good reasons from every model that um, doesn't take into consideration and doesn't um, allow the images and the phenomenal world to remain integer within itself um, and which um, basically no uh, psychological model does. Um, so, however, I guess um, even psychology now um, uh, tries to explain, of course, um, or understands or acknowledges that um, different people in different places have different um, experiences of life different experience of the world. We can see it today. If you um, go to um, remote tribes uh, that are basically untouched by modernity, as few as they are, um, their experience of the world, their experience of their surrounding is fundamentally different uh, from the way we experience them. And we have uh, no way, if we remain in our logocentric thinking, to relate to their thinking. We always then try to uh, basically translate what they are telling us in symbolic form or as well as they can in terms and into um, patterns that our rational analytical mind can deal with because we have to categorize. And this will always uh, 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 lead to a distortion of what these people actually experience and what these people actually um, are trying to communicate to us because our way of communication, our way of, of experiencing, our way of relating to our um, natural environment is fundamentally different. So, you know, um, uh, there, is, there, is, there is a very, very um, problematic um, report here. Um, uh, uh, yeah, uh, very, very, very uh, problematic to, to understand. I see this all the time when people talk about voodoo, um, and this is the Western people especially, or even, and I mean, when I mean Western, I don't, I don't um, make a distinction in regards to ethnicity or so. People who have been exposed to Westernized um, upbringing and Westernized um, ways of life, uh, these people generally have a very hard time relating to the deeper uh, mechanisms and realities of voodoo, for example, uh, because um, they do not experience um, 
as someone who is still able to connect to the forces of the universe, which in Buddha are called the loa, uh, the spirits. Um, the, the, these people often then try to relate to them in conceptual form. Then they try to explain, okay, this loa does this and this, and he has these colors and this and that. Um, and it remains a type of um, discursive way, um, maybe with a type of hope that um, closing my eyes and concentrating and chanting a little bit may give, get me into some type of mood where um, I feel more connected. But this also remains very superficial. It remains on the level of... Um, uh, um, a type of uh, 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 sensuous experience rather than, however, truly demonic experience. So um, the uh, uh, experience of what these spirits are is fundamentally different for a person able to engage in that demonic um, liaison, that erotic communion, or someone who is uh, stopped short of this because of that um, you know, uh, mental faculties, uh, which Bataille and other people have also, um, and Clark is also, um, of course, uh, clearly uh, defined and clearly seen as an obstacle. And um, if they can't crash them down, if they cannot uh, break um, down these, uh, uh, these fetters, um, then um, these people will not understand what this other reality is like, what that other consciousness is like, what these people try to communicate to us, what their wisdom is like, because their wisdom is not so much related to, um, I don't know, plants that can show us uh, that do healing or, or whatever, but um, what they can truly teach us um, is a different uh, 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 respectful and mutually needed um, rapport uh, with the world itself. Yes, and that's a, you know, a very good point. Um, and I think, you know, especially for us in the West, uh, because I mean, uh, to a certain extent, I mean, a magical worldview did prevail through, I think, the Middle Ages and really up through the Renaissance. But I think with the decline of Hermeticism and in a lot of ways, the lies of scientific materialism, I mean, you really saw that kind of snuffed out like around the 17th century. And um, I agree, you know, when you, you know, and forgive me for continuing to resort to philosophy or um, psychology, but I, I do find these to be somewhat useful stepping stones for people who you know I mean aren't as familiar with some of these abstract concepts um I mean I know a fair amount of my <laughs> listeners are kind of coming to this more from like a parapolitical framework so <laughs> I'm trying to like give them something that they can as a bridge so to speak no, we here. have to do that no you're absolutely right we have to do that because um when we try to communicate these things to of course our friends and colleagues in the Western world, um, obviously, um, this is the language we know. So um, we have to build bridges in that sense. You know, we have to show them conce concepts, uh, theories. Um, we have to basically um, guide them to that place um, where, however, then from that place, conceptual um, uh, theories no longer. Uh, uh, function. So I think philosophical speculations, metaphysics can um, bring us probably to that place um, to basically, they can explain the terrain in which we can move. Um, but the experience, of course, they cannot facilitate. Um, I guess it's also what Heidegger tried, or some of these philosophers who have with a highly technical language. Um, however, what they really tried uh, to do, of course, is to bring 
the person they are teaching closer to that unteachable, to that which um, rational language and um, theories and metaphysics no longer can basically um, uh, 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 trigger. They, you know, where, where only experience would allow you to really understand in that non-discursive sense, right? Um, uh, what they want to point you uh, towards. I think that's what we need to do. We have to use our language of the West to point people into the right direction. But the, the Western um, rational way cannot produce the experience. It could only point people into that direction. And hopefully then um, uh, the experience, um, they can come by themselves. We can, we can set the stage, so to say. Oh, absolutely. And um, I mean, I do think it's you know, really imperative in this day and age as well, because I do think in a lot of ways we are seeing the fundamental breakdown of consensus reality. Uh, but anyway, I don't want to get us uh, too far off topic with that one. <laughs> All right. But I guess so that this kind of relate a bit to the uh, the next question. So you've described us as currently going into the Kali Yoga. So, well, there you go. An assessment few uh, responsible people would seriously question nowadays. Uh how did the rise of spirit bring us to this point? Well, I think, you know, Carl Yuga is one of these catchphrases, of course, also totally distorted and bastardized. So um, sometimes I use it uh, just because, you know, immediately it, uh, something comes to mind and sometimes even to annoy people. But, uh, <clears throat> but what we can see, and I think you have actually pointed this out very well um, in the beginning of our conversation. Um, uh, uh, I think very few people, and of course, there are these people like, oh, yeah, you know, the old generation um, always says, oh, when I was young, everything was better. All oh, the youth of today, they're all like, um, you know, miserable and they're all like um, uh, straying off that, um, you know, good path and so forth and so forth. Um, you know, but that's actually not really always the case. Um, and even if it's that case, it's that kind of moaning, which uh, in my opinion, um, however, has not much to do with um, the, um, well, breakdown of uh, 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 the structures, the metaphysical structures, which still anchor us in a type of experiential experience, an experiential world. Like you said very well in the beginning, we more and more become detached from our everyday reality. You know, I don't want to go as far as, you know, evoke that stupid matrix um, type of uh, uh, metaphor. Uh, or symbolism where, you know, people um, are plugged into some type of uh, strange um, cocoon, uh, into some strange machines when they're lying in a cocoon and have a totally um, different lives from the one they actually have by being, I don't know, in some type of um, a factory. Um, uh, so, however, this is the tendency uh, that we have, that we see um, a, a, a worsening, a worsening, um, a Right, yeah, it's from worse, uh, worsening of um, the quest for individuality, um, if individuation. Um, we see the over the over the past two thousand years, um, there is a continuous um, quest and development of the individual, um, constantly um, uh, 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 creating that um, Western world where the triumph of the individual is taught in every. Uh, uh, aspect of school, of society, you know, um, uh, I guess you're from the US, um, 
where uh, basically, of course, uh, I lived in the US as well. I went to UCLA, so um, I, I, I'm very, very well, uh, very familiar with uh, American society myself. Uh, oh, David, David, David I'm from Appalachia, man. I've grown up like in West Virginia, Kentucky. Oh, okay, good. Well, so. uh, that's good. I love the Appalachian uh, Mountains. So you see, there are lots of demonic force still pre prevalent there. Um, oh, yes, but what yes. I mean. But but so but you are of course familiar with um, the rest of American society and American um, Western culture, where basically um, we are taught that um, you have to assert yourself as an individual. Don't let anyone tell you what to do. You're 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 your own person. You're integer. Um, you know that. Um, personal quest for power the will to power the will for uh, the, the 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 thriving of the individual is that what has driven the west forward um, and that's of course glorified uh, in the west um, although it's kind of questioned nowadays uh, in a very problematic fashion i may add and um, questioning is good but um, uh, if it's uh, if it's uh, so basically supplanting one problem with another <laughs> is another is another thing however um uh, I believe that uh, um, further and further isolation of natural man from its environment, the quest for personal domination, the domination of nations over others, the, the, the domination of one individual over others, that type of uh, will to power in that Nietzschean sense um, has uh, created a world where uh, that type of understanding the other um, still as something other, but something that's potentially um, could potentially be aligned with you in a harmonious way where none is better than the other in that kind of demonic sense, because we all, let's call it children of the martyr, of the great mother. That sense has completely vaporized um, in the sense of um, the will to power and the quest for individuation. Um, where one a monad basically battles the other, sometimes within a collective as a nation or, or, or society, and um, sometimes um, uh, on one's own in regards to work life and, and so forth and um, stuff like that. So um, I believe the structures which fused people, societies, um, uh, 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 um, the world together, has collapsed into that um, logocentric structure, which basically um, removes the person further and further from the world, further and further from his environment. Um, the modes of interacting become, become more and more artificial um, and they are based um, no longer on experience, on how we experience the other, um, but they are, uh, uh, they are based on uh, mental models that give us then uh, the type of uh, uh, commands um, which we are programmed with and how we then uh, uh, try to interact in the world, um, which I, in my opinion, uh, see leads to lots of disasters. I mean, not only the world wars and so forth, of course, but uh, since the world wars, there have been more uh, regional conflicts than ever before. Um, I remember when I wrote my, my, my uh, thesis in university, I guess in the late 90s, early 2000s, um, uh, there were more uh, armed conflicts in the world than at any other time uh, ever. So that type of alienation from each other is uh, increasing. Um, and um, the tendencies um, 
uh, we have seen um, and, and mentioned uh, previously are uh, results and manifestations of this um, alienation. Um, uh, the, 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 the vacancy and the death of the soul, which no longer allows us to ecstatically um, connect with either environment or anything around us um, is staggering. I can see a lot of young people, you know, you can bring them to the uh, most beautiful place in the world. Oftentimes they're just like, you know, shrug their, their shoulders and they're like, okay, whatever, you know, um, can I just play PlayStation or can I just, you know, whip out my, my, um, my Nintendo? Um, uh, the soul has become, in my opinion, impoverished. It loses more and more the ability to receive um, those um, seductions um, in a positive sense, that's erotic seductions from the world around ourselves. Uh, and I mean also other people, um, also the uh, even the sexual relations we have um, uh, are more often based on kind of like our abstract idea of our body, um, how, how I look and, and how- They're defined how by we, pornography, really. I mean, again, kind of brought to us through the, um, this artificial medium, so. Exactly, I just I just talked about this with, with a friend. It's, it's like this, you know, it's kind of this robotic interaction where we hope that, you know, our bodies look good in a certain angle and um, we're all extremely self-conscious. Um, and it's, it's, it's not a pro physical beauty or a celebration of physical beauty, for example, it's not a problem at all. On the contrary, that's a great thing. But not if it becomes obsessive. Not if our bodies become a type of um, mold which um, we have to um, basically shape and form according to abstract ideals um, that somebody um, tells us to. Uh, the body then is no longer a manifestation of the soul, but then the body becomes a representation of an ideal that we chase. Um, and this is, of course, a complete um, uh, degeneration of the original formula of body and soul being a unit. So, um, uh, yeah, like you said, uh, sexuality, errors, all these, all these things which make life enjoyable become more and more stale. We have to chase um, more extreme forms of um, whatever sexual interaction to even become remotely entertained. Um, because that's what it then really is, an entertainment, a type of um, sport, a type of chasing of, um, uh, 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 of the bigger, better, greater. Um, so uh, uh, because this is what our society is like, right? The so our society celebrates the winner, um, the one who uh, sleeps the, 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 the less, the one who accomplishes um, the biggest goals that everybody else admires. Is, is never about and, and not anymore about the one who lives deepest. Interestingly, interestingly enough, even until more recent times, for example, work and accomplishing type of work goals um, was something that the aristocracy sneered at. The, the aristocracy didn't work. The aristocracy uh, regarded uh, working Yes, it was beneath them and of substance didn't dirty their because, hand with labor. Exactly, because the, the aristocracy was engaged with leisure, um, maybe sometimes with fighting, um, but depending on culture. But basically, um, the aristocracy was there to, um, you know, uh, kind of like represent uh, the glory of the cosmos. Um, and um, there was no frantic chasing of goals. Like, oh my God, I have 80 years to live. And in these 80, 80 years, you know, I want to produce so many things because, 
you know, um, that's what remains. And this is what it is. See, this is this type of artificial goal setting um, that our egos produce rather than um, living deeply uh, and in a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in, a, in a very comprehensive way so that we as individuals basically experience life in the most deep sense. No, we basically live for achieving goals that other admire us for. That's, that's sick. You know, um, the same as with sleep. My God, you know, sleep is co was considered um, uh, sacred uh, by even the Greeks uh, in many ways where, um, uh, you know, the dreams would reveal, you have to sleep because dreams would reveal all types of important matters, um, dream oracles and so forth, you know, um, all these, uh, basically the inability to fall asleep or to disrupted sleep was considered a curse. However, today we try to sleep as little as possible because even, um, you know, the Bible tells us, um, you know, uh, 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 sleep is uh, problematic, sleep is seductive, sleep will, um, that's where the demons, you know, come in because, um, of course, uh, uh, when we sleep, um, the uh, rational consciousness is not in charge, cannot defend us and defend our spirit, our um, godly side against the intrusions of uh, darkness and seduction, usually often female form, see, um, which is another sign of the uh, um, uh, domination of that natural maternal female um, uh, current um, uh, by the aesthetic rational dominating um, uh, male structures. So um, yeah, um, these, these problems are prevalent today more than ever. And um, I see uh, no real change. All the change in society I see um, uh, are of a moral type. One moral um, issue um, becomes outdated when another moral um, ideology takes root. Um, uh, you know, all, all the, the cancel culture and, and, and so forth um, uh, may have, of course, some good intentions here in many ways, in many places, but of course, what it really um, eventually does is basically um, supplanting one moral code that's a rational construct with another. It has nothing to do with the experience, the truly, the, the true experience of the world is, 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 um, is, is, is what is um, morally, theoretically acceptable at the current time. Um, and that is being fought through. Um, it's ideology against ideology, spirit against spirit. It does not really um, take the soul into consideration and doesn't help um, a, a revival of the soul basically, unfortunately. Well, no, I mean, I was actually thinking I can think of a change, you know, I mean, sort of getting back to this, you know, artificial world we spoke of earlier in this, this will to power that you're talking about. I mean, really, this will to power was baked into the artificial world. I mean, I know you uh, listened to the show that I did on Kubrickology in 2001. Um, I think one of Kubrick's inspirations for that was this uh, company, Simulmatics, which was one of the first to really... Uh, you know, do behavioral profiling using computers and computer simulations and this type of thing. And all of this was uh, a part of the behavioral science uh, research that ARPA was doing uh, at the same time as they were building the ARPANET. And that was really the basis of a, you know, a big chunk of this. I mean, it was a way yeah. to collect data and uh, ultimately, you know, do these highly accurate models of society so that you could put down insurgencies and so forth. Later, this was kind of commercialized by Google and entities like that, and then sort of getting into, uh, 
more recent times, I mean, you had the rise of social media, which was founded or not founded, but uh, majorly backed financially by Peter Thiel, uh, the Palantir founder and uh, a major entity engaged in this kind of, uh, you know, modeling and this type of thing. But essentially, like what I'm getting at is that it's created a state of affairs now where the war was taken almost out of like a physical battlefield and through like social media and these kind of things. Like it's been, you know, brought totally into your private space. You know, it's Absolutely. almost like a total part of our everyday lives now, this like continuous assault on us through, I mean, these artificial Absolutely. mediums that we've created. Absolutely. I think you, you're 100% spot on. And it's, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's good to see that uh, people are thinking about this from these different angles. It's exactly like this. And I see exactly the same issues. Um, we basically um, live in a mental world, in a mental world where, like you said, you know, wars are fought there, uh, people engage there. Um, it's not so much anymore in, in, in the physical reality. Um, the physical reality um, becomes less and less and less important. The outside world um, is just a, it's just a resource. Um, it's basically people stay in their houses and um, everything is done within their little confined space, which is more and more transported, even away from their little uh, uh, home space into a virtual reality. Um, same as with literal wars, right? I mean, we can see, you know, the, back in the days, um, you had to have bravery on the battlefield. I mean, um, there was a type of, um, uh, you know, engagement in battle, um, which was, um, you could even call it ecstatic uh, to a degree. Uh, uh, when you when you think about I don't know tribal tribal uh, skirmishes and so forth, um, very often these were described like that. And in, uh, even an aesthetic quality, you could probably probably say. Now it's uh, even since the world wars, it's become a mechanized um, mass slaughter uh, that had absolutely nothing anymore to do. Where war in itself also um, has from this type of you know uh, biocentric engagement. Uh, uh, has basically um, become a type of um, factory mechanical annihilation. Um, and um, I guess this uh, will also increase in, 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 in the coming times. I just read an article uh, now with the, uh, I don't know, Ukrainian crisis and so forth. I just read an article where, you know, they were talking about um, that soon, you know, in, in those developed countries, uh, uh, technically developed countries, and, you know, few soldiers will probably have to fight because there's already a lot of technology where, you know, robotic, you know, kind of a Terminator uh, type of scenario where robotic um, drones and, 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 and soldiers can actually do all the fighting. So um, we, we are moving towards uh, more and more uh, uh, word of the spirit, mental worlds, where um, the body, um, the, the, the flesh, uh, uh, has no space anymore. Um, and I'm curious to see where this is going. Yeah, I mean, it's it's certainly terrifying in a lot of ways. I mean, I know for the uh, book that I, uh, you know, I'm working on, I mean, just one of the things I kind of inadvertently uh, was researching as a kind of a digression uh, that's probably not even going to make into it, but just the, the amount of just suicides that have been driven by social media. And I think it's this crazy. is a situation that's been, even been exasperated by the lockdowns, which has made it even more pervasive. But I mean, yeah, it's you crazy. have these, these teenagers, these kids in their early 20s, I mean, that have, you know, essentially full-blown PTSD from these experiences. Absolutely. So Can you imagine PTSD just because they're on social media, just because they are participating in that which has now become normal? 
yeah. it's crazy which is why it's i say crazy. i mean it really is a war now with i mean some of the it things is. that are being done with these predictive modelings and so forth it's, it's just terrible of course and everyone can participate you know the the greatest loser you know in his mommy's basement that back in the days would have mm -hmm. no impact nowadays you know can be um the leader of a lynch mob that uh, because some you know unattentive person said you know abc and um it just doesn't um vibe uh too too greatly with uh with a person um and then that you know that what nietzsche has called the the small person you know that that vengeful little man the last man that type now has the opportunity um to uh, basically um you know, turn this uh, this jealousy, this anger, that that self disgust, this this kind of hidden self disgust, you know, into this um, type of uh, lynch mob um, uh, scenario and uh, annihilate people, destroy people for the smallest of things, and oftentimes even in the uh, you know in the name of good, um, and that's even um, you know uh, equally scary. I mean, you, you can see the society seems to kind of like uh, fall apart in smaller and smaller fractions. Um, and in and, and small and smaller fractions of what is right, what is wrong, what is PC, what's not PC, what is morally acceptable, what's morally non-acceptable. Um, and, you know, everybody is, um, as you said, uh, you know, these kids develop uh, PTSD because they don't know what can they say, what can they not say, is that right, is that wrong, um, are we doing okay, are we, you know, disturbing anyone, uh, are we not. This was not the case 20, 30 years ago. Right and um, and yeah and I guess is 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 this split of body and uh, is this split of body and soul is this split um, uh, basically that the spirit facilitates is the spirit um, divides those things um, the spirit can himself um, not do anything but he needs the experiences of the soul to even cull those um, even alienating rational um, uh, life experience um, from that uh, experience from that ground of the soul. Um, so, however, the body, the 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 enfleshment of the soul through the body is not taking place anymore. Um, it's the it's the mind, it's the rational mind, and that what we project um, that has uh, taken total control um, of whatever the soul um, can still or, or, or the way the soul the, the soul still functions or or what the soul the soul still transmits um, from life itself. You know, it kind of like distorts it further and further and makes it um, less and less fluid. It's, it's, it becomes less and less stale. That river, that flood of sensuous experiences becomes more dried up until our life is just one um, virtual mental projection, which is, uh, to me, a horrible, a horrible, horrible thought. Yeah, well, I mean, it uh, certainly does not seem like it's working out very well for humanity based on the early events. Absolutely not. All right, so uh, I know you've hinted at this a bit now, but can you get into your notion of death and how the dead interact with the living? Well, yeah, um, it's for me a very important topic. <clears throat> also being, of course, in uh, an, uh, an initiate of um, uh, biocentric systems, uh, Afrocentric systems, uh, where the ancestors or veneration of ancestors, for example, or the dead is very important. So um, in, in, the, in, the, in, the, in my biocentric um, gnosis, in my biocentric system of, uh, of magic and spirituality, um, basically the dead and the living are not separated. They're only separated um, by different 
um, uh, uh, let's call it planes um, of uh, uh, within the same reality. So the the dead are constantly around the living. Um, the basically the dead constantly influence the lives of the living, not only by basically um, um, giving parts of their own self to the living when they kind of like are born, like in some African or, or other indigenous um, uh, spiritualities uh, or, or religions where, um, you know, the newborn has um, some traits of the ancestor, some type of ancestral soul in it, um, in him and so forth. But um, I believe that when a person dies, and that's important for the biocentric reality, when a person dies, it's unlike in our rational um, cosmos, it's not, we are afraid that the person dies, we are terrified that the I am ceases to exist. And um, uh, so we are frantically trying to prolong our lives, or um, uh, we are we are trying to freeze our I don't know, you know, our, our head in order to be like reborn in ten thousand years from now or something like this, um, uh, or we create fantasy worlds of uh, beyond um, where we live as uh, the persona that we um, experience ourselves in as now. Um, we hope that the, this persona will um, continue to live in a, in an afterlife. Uh, however, my idea of death is uh, more something that when a person dies, it's still an event, but it's a type of initiatory event. It's in sync with many um, biocentric religions that still exist around the world, the biocentric systems um, in the world, where um, death is merely a transformation. Because when you recall what we have talked about um, in regards to the um, uh, primordial consciousness, when the I am um, persona breaks down and that demonic self arises and reconnects with that demonic environment uh, again, um, we uh, 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 experience ourselves no longer as a person, but as an event. And I believe that um, uh, uh, this type of experience helps us to understand um, the idea that when we die, um, not the person that holistic person um, basically uh, uh, lives on in some type of afterworld or where else, in hell or something like this, but what lives on are the essentially experienced moments of the soul. That which the soul experiences in ecstasy. Um, these are the things, in my opinion, that live on. This is what we can see, for example, um, when uh, voodoo spirits who are previous, uh, some of the, uh, which are, or many of which are previously um, living great um, uh, people, uh, let's have this uh, Haitian revolution or something like this, when they come um, or when they are recalled into the bodies uh, of the devotees, um, it is not really the person that uh, comes, uh, uh, it's not one person that comes into one devotee, but um, it's that essential aspects of these, of what this person has experienced, which kind of, um, which kind of is not lost because nothing really is lost in that cosmos. So um, my idea of um, interaction with the dead is very much related to these um, uh, traditional models um, where the dead, <clears throat> in there as essential forces, as essential force that's not lost in the cosmos, have um, a very intimate relationship with the living. The dead need the living to reappear because they also are still souls um, and they need 
the um, physical, or not the physical, well, they need the phenomena, they need the phenomenal reality to appear. So that could also be an altar where objects are um, specifically um, uh, ordained to um, work as vehicles um, in which the uh, uh, dead could um, basically present themselves and um, manifest themselves to the visionary eye of uh, uh, the devotees um, or where they can um, continue to dispense their power. So we see in um, world religions and in tribal religions, the idea that it's the dead who basically um, uh, are present at all the most important initiatory moments of one's life, at any initiation, at weddings, um, at any of these um, important um, moments, um, the dead, the ancestors are called upon to dispense their blessing because um, for the biocentric person, death is just a transfiguration of the demonic essence of um, the, uh, the previous living person um, that uh, is not now any longer bonded to one specific body, flesh, but um, is now free from that um, type of attachment, which is not a negative attachment, but it was um, bonded. It was um, married with that uh, specific um, uh, phenomenon. Um, and now it's free to roam um, uh, more freely around um, and can uh, basically manifest in dreams, in um, uh, objects, in all kinds of ways um, uh, uh, which benefit the community. So basically, um, it has become a more powerful um, a deity uh, or a more powerful um, a daemon than it was uh, uh, most of the time uh, when it was uh, tied uh, to the flesh. So um, the dead have an elevated position, um, but of course the dead as specific Mm, uh, individuals are only remembered if their deeds were very great and of course um, were very important for a certain community. Um, but also the collective dead um, as uh, one kind of like um, ambient um, have that kind of power of uh, 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 interaction. And where do they interact? I think they interact in the, uh, in the blood of the living. The dead have a tendency to um, want to return into life, want to participate. They long to be um, re-anchored into the phenomenal reality. And uh, the easiest way for them to do that, because these demonic um, souls are, of course, of a human species, of a human experiences. Human experiences may, of course, more easily than um, be drawn to um, human uh, souls. So, of course, um, even, even when we have a picture of our old uh, grandma that we loved so much and engage with it in a, in a, in a deep way, and um, that type of moment of um, uh, not remembrance, but there are these moments I've experienced many times um, uh, commemorating um, dear uh, loved ones that are dead now, where you have some type of shiver um, when you are engaging with the memory um, of this um, ancestor um, and this kind of shiver, that kind of empowerment, that kind of feeling of erotic um, communion um, is a type of necromancy, you could say, um, where 
living and dead um, need each other. The living need the dead to empower them and the dead need the living to anchor them back in life. So that cycle um, of life continues um, eternally. Uh, so basically um, my, my idea of the dead is very close to um, any type of um, natural people um, which believe the dead to basically be around them at all times, sometimes in, um, in dimensions which are kind of like reversed to their own, um, but never detached from their world. Um, there's always the way to, to intermingle. Um, and the, uh, the, the intermingling is extremely important for the well-being of community, of the person, of the individual. Um, and it is equally important for the dead to retain their power, um, to retain their power to uh, assist the community, but also um, uh, uh, to uh, basically um, keep the life process going because it's from um, the place where the dead go that the new lives are um, brought into being, basically. So um, I think that's um, a very quite easy way maybe uh, to explain my, my, uh, uh, my idea of the dead. Basically, the dead and the living need each other. Um, there are different roles which one fulfills. The dead fulfill the role of empowerment. The uh, living fulfill the role of anchor and of feeding the dead. That is why it's very important. The dead need certain things to be fed. Oftentimes it's blood because blood is the seed of the soul in many cultures. So um, that is why um, uh, they receive certain blood sacrifices and so on. So in order to uh, empower them and the more empowered they are, the stronger uh, they are in regards to benefiting um, individuals and community. Uh, so um, the dead and the living are one unit that you cannot split, same as body and soul. So um, uh, I do not believe in um, banishing the dead into some type of transcendental place where they have um, no uh, interaction with us. I believe is uh, this would be a very, very um, uh, stupid way of um, cutting away a very important source of empowerment, uh, which we could um, experience in our lives. Um, so it would be uh, one resource of demonic powers less, which naturally feel um, affinity and association and um, which make it easy for us to um, engage with. How does uh, Saturn relate to the cosmic gnosis? All right, so, um, so I have a, so my interest in, in Saturn um, or the Saturnian gnosis is uh, simply um, in the way, um, in the way that it can be made useful for the cosmic gnosis. So um, I believe the, uh, the way Saturn, and um, I know you've read um, Arthur Morris's uh, book, um, The Cult of the Black Cube, which uh, I think brilliantly um, deals with this uh, topic. Um, I believe Saturn to be a type of essential symbol or, an or like um, a type of essential force of this maternal worldview, which um, I had described in the cosmos with a K. Um, I believe uh, Saturn um, is a type of force field, which we can attach to if we want to return to that type of world experience. 
Um, and this is so because um, Saturn ticks um, various boxes. Um, I believe uh, Saturn then in this case must be seen as that um, son of the martyr, of the, uh, the, the great mother, the chaos come martyr, um, uh, in that sense that he was the ruler of a golden age, of a titanic age, which um, the logocentric powers, the powers that, um, the, that order um, through a vertical um, hierarchy have usurped, that powers which they um, in later distortions then um, consider to be um, uh, primitive, uh, lawless, um, and basically, of course, um, uh, anathema um, to, the, uh, to the cosmos that is structured and ordered according to those transcendental laws. So um, uh, the, the myth of Saturn um, then for me perfectly um, fit with that type of idea that um, we have discussed, that we see a type of um, change in consciousness, a change in humanity at one point where um, that um, primordial way of engaging with the world was upset and disrupted and another type of power or structure has taken its place, um, which then impacted the way we experience the world. So the one world experience was over and suddenly a new one um, has dictated uh, to us um, the rules of engagement. So um, Saturn um, is that essential force which represents that primordial um, world experience. Um, and um, the fact that he was, uh, of course, described as um, hostile uh, to that takeover, that he was described as um, golden ruler of that primordial age, um, makes him, of course, a very, very um, easy to use um, symbol for that type of world uh, view, which I try to describe. Um, uh, so Saturn to me um, becomes that type of uh, force which we have to appeal to and connect to if we want to break down that type of uh, world order in which we live. Um, Saturn uh, as the god chained um, into the mountain or into the cube, um, the god that has been maimed, um, is uh, that God which has been pushed to the margins, but has not lost his essential power. So um, the Saturnian or the Saturnine deity, whomever you want to call the Saturnine deity, whether it's Saturn, Kronos, or, 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 or whoever, um, the Saturnine force, the Saturnine deity is still there in the world, but it's um, hard to, uh, to attach to um, in a kind of like uh, organized way. It intrudes very often into our world um, in all those tales where the Saturnian um, hordes invade our consciousness and disrupt our, um, our, our uh, structured life where um, we are shocked uh, out of our um, logocentric consciousness because Saturnine um, uh, fragments are um, upsetting our dreams or our um, way of life. Um, you're into Lovecraft, so you know those Love Lovecraftian intrusions um, have a very Saturnine character. Um, so uh, you know these upset our you know rational um, experience of the world. So um, for me, Saturn is that kind of uh, force that we, if we know how, can approach and engage with um, in order to um, combat 
the structures which uh, impose their laws onto our consciousness and to our uh, world experience. Um, basically, this is um, the, the, the uh, essential uh, role that uh, Saturn plays uh, for me. Um, because of its prominence, it is something that people can relate to because they have heard of it before. They know the myth of Saturn um, as, uh, you know, the great enemy of the current world order. So um, um, it's, a, it's a very good um, a deity to um, engage with if you want to return to that um, primordial world order or that primordial consciousness. Um, it provides a lot of interesting avenues um, to do that. Um, and um, people have done so in the past. So um, my work, um, when I use those Saturnian um, symbolisms is designed towards that. How is Saturn a pathway into that primordial consciousness? Um, and how do we approach him um, or this him, I say him, but um, it's in my opinion, um, not a him, not a he, it's a force and force um, is uh, consisting of a male and female aspects. So um, uh, uh, I say him because we know Kronos and, and Saturn in the depictions of a male. So, um, but when I say this, it must be kept in mind that it's, uh, I don't refer to a male um, per se. So this is what it is to me, uh, a type of a renegade force that was very powerful, that still is very powerful, but um, the powers that are insulate us um, and make us immune um, in our normal, in our most of our normal time against these intrusions. And when they, however, do intrude, and they do intrude um, onto everyone's life at various times, uh, they are considered disruptive because, of course, our current setup is incompatible with these Saturnian radiations. So um, uh, for those who are attuned, however, to those radiations, uh, Saturn is a very um, powerful ally um, uh, with whom and with whose assistance to crush the current world order, the logocentric world order, um, which keeps us, in my opinion, imprisoned. Uh, the world in which we live in uh, tries, of course, to keep the Saturnian powers um, uh, 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 in fetters, in chains, um, contained. Um, so, of course, it does not upset um, the uh, 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 world that they have created. Of course, they do not want to lose the power. They do not want to um, give up their dominion and uh, their rule over uh, the human um, species. So, in my opinion, of course, uh, um, they have done a very good job. And uh, Saturn uh, is nightmarish. Um, but most people have uh, lost any type of ability to constructively engage with the Saturnian deity. And I just want to add to um, the cult of the black cube is unbelievable. You guys should definitely check that out. And also uh, the game of Saturn by the great Peter Mark Adams. Both of absolutely. those works are just absolutely pivotal. I uh, just want to give that little shout out there. All right. So can you uh, get into some of the principal symbols of Saturn on both the macro and micro level? Well, um, th th I think we can do this very quickly. Um, uh, this is, um, it's, it's actually for me personally, um, uh, uh, a microcosmic symbol um, for Saturn would be um, the cell, the whirling cell, um, because um, it is uh, the cell uh, to me is what is disturbed in our current um, uh, world order, in our current world experience. I believe that the inner cell um, of the soul 
um, that's made up of um, constantly mating, just to, to use an, uh, a metaphor here, symbol, uh, constantly mating male and female as, uh, uh, essences, uh, which are constantly intermingling and which produce a type of um, inner fire, an inner, an inner force field, which when it is holistic and intact, um, can then um, uh, interact with um, the demonic cells um, in the cosmos. Uh, so I believe um, that uh, whirling, um, I, uh, the, the image of the cell um, that needs to be, um, that's the nucleus of life, that this is to me um, the most perfect uh, uh, microcosmic symbol of um, the, the Saturnine or the cosmic Gnostic um, uh, reality. Um, on a, a, a macrocosmic level, um, I think, of course, um, it should be something like uh, the cube, uh, monoliths, um, some type of um, uh, 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 non-humanoid structures um, that, uh, in my opinion, um, could be um, very good images of uh, the Saturnine deity. Not only, of course, because um, uh, in my opinion, the cube, um, and of course there are other um, uh, there are other theories out there where the cube has become a symbol of, of Saturn. But I think the cube, especially when we uh, think about a cube that was made by human hands according to um, logocentric um, rational um, designs, um, or when they are made by the logocentric powers to keep um, uh, 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 Kronos or, or, or Saturn imprisoned, um, shows me that, yes, the prison of um, the Saturnine deity was constructed ac uh, according to lo logic, rational, and mechanical laws, which perfectly symbolize um, the current world order. And this is where um, uh, Saturn now has found his prison. But at the same time, um, he made it his throne and his um, dominion and his domain. But then, of course, again, um, we know of mountains um, and monolithic structures, which um, uh, basically um, uh, show the uber-human, and not in that transcendental sense, but in that cosmic sense, um, uh, which relates to the uh, the other than human uh, type of um, forces and life force out there. So um, uh, stones, um, uh, blocks of stones, um, uh, pieces of, I don't know, asteroids, um, such type of symbols, obelisks, such things to me um, would reflect um, a big uh, macrocosmic symbols of uh, a cosmic order. All right, Sue, a lot has been written about Saturn worship in the classical world, but what about other cultures such as the Aztecs? That seems to have become an especially fertile field of study in recent years. Well, um, uh, I would love to, to have uh, uh, Atomoros uh, uh, here now with me. Unfortunately, that's no longer possible because he's, he's, he's not alive anymore, but uh, um, I would love him to be able to answer this because um, I have not, like him, studied now, let's say in detail, all those different cultures which would um, have uh, Saturnine deities or Saturnine currents, um, you know, in some way or another within their religious uh, setups. However, um, yes, especially the Aztecs uh, and other have a very interesting Saturnine deities. The Aztecs uh, have a very interesting god. I cannot pronounce his name. Maybe you can. Um, 
uh, uh, it's uh, testicle uh, something like that. Um, however, he was like um, thought of as a black star, a black sun. Um, so uh, a black uh, mirror believe, too. Black mirror, of course, you know, black mirror is very important, and you can see the Saturnian qualities here because the black mirror, of course, um, um, basically radiates um, to the human side of the world what is in the underworld or what um, is in the other world, which is not a separate transcendental world, but something which is um, a current uh, constantly in touch uh, with the world of humanity, of the human um, uh, realm, um, but uh, needs uh, sometimes a kind of a transmitter um, uh, with which we can um, uh, engage with uh, the other world, especially in more later phases where this cosmic potential has become a little bit diminished. Um, uh, uh, um, also, interestingly, um, the uh, Saturn is usually in other in many cultures considered to be maimed. Right, the powers that are now uh, dominant have um, maimed him, crippled him, and I think that um, Aztec deity also um, is um, often depicted as crippled. And sometimes I think the mirror um, is kind of like um, substitutes a limb or something like this. Um, if I remember correctly, and this also shows that Saturnian quality um, uh, is, you know, that kind of like um, uh, 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 the type of um, uh, uh, being maimed in, in a battle, being maimed in some type of uh, 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 hostility with powers that are um, opposing uh, that particular deity. Um, and we can also see this in, in, in some, um, in voodoo, uh, we find also certain aspects which would point to that type of um, imagery. Um, so yeah, um, very interesting. And I would love to see more studies um, about uh, specifically a Saturnian um, or Saturnine uh, essences in those kind of cultures um, uh, by some respectable um, uh, uh, you know, scholar of religions or something like this. That would be that would be a, a big dream of mine. So, um, don't know any 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 of these uh, studies if they exist. So, um, if somebody has uh, some to point out, that would be great. Um, however, yes, uh, I think um, these cultures have a very strong Saturnian um, current. Um, very little is known about this. Um, and what we know, however, the small symbols like the the black mirror, um, which uh, you know. Um, show looks into the one world but points at the other at the same time the maiming um, or the the, uh, the 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 being impaired of the deity all these are strong saturnian um uh, uh, symbols the black sun the black star which uh, this uh, deity is also associated um also um of course points in that direction um the dark reflex um of the the, the solar the solar powers or the solar sun which uh, is currently dom uh, dominating uh, our reality yeah all right so how does the demiurge fit into your tradition um the demiurge um basically in the in the same way um i see the demiurge as someone who opposes um the transcendental powers um, uh, in one of your last um, uh, recordings that, that I listened to, you, you, you kind of like explained uh, it very well, I think, um, the demiurge in, in, Gnostic, in Gnostic thought, uh, which of course is quite well known. Um, the demiurge uh, there in Gnostic thought, or usually is um, of course considered a minor 
um, or oftentimes even hostile flawed deity that um, uh, created the cosmos um, uh, and invested it with a lot of his ignorance um, in opposition uh, or in ignorance of uh, transcendence and uh, the pleroma, the uh, perfect uh, transcendental world of mind. Um, so uh, the cosmos is considered um, uh, a, a deficient, um, dense, uh, material um, realm of uh, uh, entrapment. And the Demiurge is um, the ignorant God, basically, who is in charge of that uh, type of reality. Um, reality which is at odds with the reality of um, the higher worlds, which are mental um, and abstract and which are not, of course, um, uh, material in any sense. So um, uh, in all those traditions, um, the Demiurge is seen as a stumbling block for uh, any type of um, spiritual development, which of course is always towards uh, transcendental um, uh, spheres and realms. Um, so in my, uh, to make this, uh, uh, not, to, not, not to spend too long on this. Um, uh, so in my opinion, the Demiurge, rather than being a stumbling block um, uh, for a human spiritual development towards a more abstract and less um, identification with material, with the material realm, which is not the same as materialism, of course. Um, uh, the Demiurge, in my um, opinion, is the Saturnine deity, which is, of course, the son of the mother um, who represents um, the uh, cosmic reality and thus um, is the guardian of that cosmic reality. He is basically that deity which um, potentially can keep the uh, destructive radiations of the spirit um, out of the cosmos and um, help the human being to um, uh, shield himself from that um, dissecting, um, disintegrating uh, a spiritual force which um, takes him out of that holistic um, cosmic um, Tellurian and demonic consciousness, um, which would, um, of course, um, open the cosmos for him. So uh, the Demiurge uh, then to me is that um, uh, uh, also, of course, distorted by later traditions figure, uh, which is at uh, the aid of humanity um, and not its enemy. It's, uh, it's aiding humanity to um, feel at home in that cosmic reality in which they um, integrally have their place as um, an ensouled phenomenon. And um, it is only the spirit which um, wants to draw that persona out of the cosmos um, and um, basically wants to seduce him in that sterile way, um, uh, away from the uh, yeah, even erotic entanglements, the, the tragic entanglements of life, um, which can be so empowering um, and so um, positive if one knows how to um, engage with them properly. So the Demiurge in my um, system has a positive, um, a very positive place because he opposes um, the forces that want to seduce humanity to uh, leave the cosmos and the uh, Tellurian reality behind.
Yeah, it is just really fascinating to me how predisposed we are to sort of the Gnostic perception of the Demiurge in the West now and not the Hellenistic perspective. Um, even though, again, I mean, it's, you know, written so large in Plato and so forth. Um, it's yeah. very fascinating that that's how the, uh, uh, the uh, current manifestation of it is taken in our uh, popular culture and so forth. Absolutely. Well, um, let's get into another uh, deity that... Um, has a lot of interesting uh, uh, interpretations of over the years. Uh, this would be uh, Hecate. How does uh, she rate in your system? Uh, Hecate is a very interesting uh, goddess, of course, and um, uh, I know she's highly popular today. I think, like you know, every uh, the TikTok witch is uh, also a devotee of Hecate these days. So. Um, uh, when I when I speak of Hecate, my interest um, lies in that um, uh, in the in the most primordial forms of Hecate, um, not so much the Hecate of the Chaldean oracles and the Orphic uh, myth and so forth. So um, to me, um, Hecate in her most titanic aspects is of interest to me because um, in later times um, she was, of course, um, so. It's clear her origins as a titanic figure, just as uh, a Saturn, her belonging to a different world order than the one that is, um, we could call the Olympian, Olympic world order, the one uh, with Zeus and Apollo, um, that um, she belongs to a more primordial world order um, uh, uh, than these uh, deities and the logocentric um, uh, uh, deities and, and, and systems after. Um, however, she was integrated um, because she probably lent herself very well to um, an integration at a lower um, level um, than she had uh, probably before, um, in the sense that she is now subservient um, to um, these uh, pri uh, primary Olympic powers, or she is considered to be tamed and seduced into adhering to that um, uh, vertical um, logocentric order. Uh, however, to me, Hecate still represents and still contains essentially her um, primordial um, titanic essence and power. And um, there is, uh, there are, uh, there, there are um, fragments of transmission where um, it is said that Hecate um, received uh, the keys from Kronos. And Hecate is always shown with keys very often, keys to the cosmos and so forth. Um, that she has been given transmissions and keys from Kronos um, uh, 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 empowerments to rule. So in my opinion, um, Hecate, or for my, for my personal magical work and for my um, people that work with me, um, Hecate represents um, this type of secret agent in plain sight, a type of titanic um, Tellurian demonic power which um, managed to um, weave herself and to be accepted into the um, fold of the new world order, um, into the new metaphysical world order. Um, and there, when you um, consider her the way we consider her, and you work with her in, um, uh, uh, in that aspect of the cosmic gnosis, then she can become a very powerful tool of um, disintegrating from within the power structures uh, that keep us um, chained to that um, law from above. 
Um, and so Hecate becomes basically um, the, secret angel, the secret agent of the Saturnine and the cosmic Gnostic reality um, and um, is, uh, becomes a very powerful force with which um, the uh, magicians of our current um, operate in, um, yeah, in, 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 mystical, in mystical ways um, where we uh, want to uh, break down our inner logocentric um, uh, structure, but at the same time, she becomes a, a very powerful magical force uh, which can be directed and uh, wielded against um, uh, logocentric um, obstacles, let's call them, uh, <laughs> not to become more concrete. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so Hecate is, um, is uh, 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 related to the Saturnine reality and the Saturnine deity, the cosmic reality, and um, she, in, for me and, and, and the current I work in, she represents that reality in plain sight. Um, and when she is um, understood as that, she can create uh, great havoc um, within the logocentric order and uh, within the system of the spirit um, and um, provide great empowerment for the um, initiates of the, uh, what Richard Gavin would call the benighted uh, path. So Saturn is often described as a lord of time. But you see this as a specific kind of time, dream time. Now, I find this to be a really fascinating concept. Can you explain yes. that a bit, please? Yeah, I can quickly uh, get into this. I mean, um, uh, what we, the way we experience our life now um, and time now is very linear. Um, our life uh, goes along linear fashion. That's, of course, um, a logocentric um, type of uh, 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 Manifestation that's, that that uh, you know philosophy uh, clearly um, <laughs> describes this very well. So um, our 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 timeline is linear. It's from birth to death, um, and uh, we uh, look back our uh, along that linear timeline um, on our life, and we project our goals into the future. So that's the timeline that we experience life as, and um, this is um, how we operate in the world. Uh, I believe that. Um, if you live in a more primordial consciousness, um, time doesn't um, take place uh, on a linear level, but it's cyclical. It's, it goes in cycles. You can, when you undergo um, certain ecstatic um, experiences, um, time collapses, time breaks down. Um, there is a loss of linear time. There's a, when you have the loss of self, the loss of identity in magical, in certain magical, ecstatic magical rituals or um, ecstatic experiences, um, a la Bataille or others, um, then uh, you also lose the sense of linear time. Um, and this means that there is another form of time available to us because linear time suddenly ceases to exist. Linear time also ceases to exist when we, when we sleep. Um, uh, we do not um, operate in linear time when we sleep, obviously. Um, everyone who has uh, recall, recalls his dreams knows what I'm talking about. So um, uh, I believe that um, the Lord of time as um, the deity which presides over um, what I consider to be Saturn the being the deity of primordial consciousness, of the cosmic consciousness, of the cosmic reality, then also 
um, presides over cyclical time, over time that's not measurable in units. And that's the problem with cyclical, uh, with, with linear time. Linear time is only so because we measure it um, according to units which we can then determine and which we can then count. Um, but of course, um, if we see time, it's a more it's a it's a more flowing reality um, that um, where where in ecstatic moments um, the past can immediately impact on us um, when we engage, for example, with um, uh, demonic um, powers which are far away from us, for example, or which have lived um, before us in their corporeal um, fashion. Um, so anyways, the sense of the linear time collapses. I've had this uh, happen to me many times uh, when I underwent possession um, in voodoo and so on. Um, um, you wake up from a, uh, from a experience um, which uh, has nothing anymore to do with linear time. So Kronos presides over that um, form of time, which is very unlike time that we experience. So. Um, this is also further emphasized by all the tales of um, distortion of time when initiates or when um, people encounter Kronos in sagas or myth. Um, people are sucked into the mountain or brought into the mountain um, where Kronos or where, Sat where Saturnine force resides. And um, when they step out of the mountain, um, suddenly um, years have passed also in their, although in their own experience, it was only um, a few hours. So that distortion of um, uh, uh, measurable time is um, for me crucial um, uh, in, in regards to how we must understand uh, the Saturnine reality. Um, Saturn, uh, dream time um, or the way in which we experience life um, uh, suddenly um, it takes on a whole different flavor. The, the things you experience when time collapses around you, um, the way it is experienced in those ecstatic moments, um, just yields a completely different, um, yeah, uh, 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 knowledge of the world once you uh, step out of that experience. Um, even in re even in reflection, even in retrospect, there is a, a, a lingering um, glamour which allows you to uh, at least sense that type of otherness, which, however, is more familiar to your inner self than that linear time um, uh, which we uh, pursue so frantically in our um, lifespan, which we think is only tied to that um, uh, self-conscious um, uh, persona that we um, believe ourselves to be deep down. So yeah, certain lot of time, but the time uh, that stands in opposition to linear time, that uh, stands in opposition to also the enslavement that linear time um, uh, uh, aids in. Linear time enslaves us to some goals in the future. Linear time takes us out of the present moment because um, we constantly project into the future. Um, even our work space um, expects us to do that. We have to have um, targets um, that we project into the future and we have to follow up to meet those targets. So um, we, we, we plan ahead um, all the time, what we're gonna do in, uh, when we retire, how much money we wanna have, what to do um, uh, three months from now, one year from now. 
um, and this type of enslavement um, to the future, which is um, a completely uh, projected reality because it's unreal, because the only thing that's real is the now and the now that's fed by the past. But the future is a category um, which we project. It may or may not um, take place the way we hope uh, it will take place. Um, so that tyranny of um, the spirit which um, uh, drives us to gaze into the future and forget the here and now, the ecstatic moments um, that we can have in the here and now. Uh, this type of um, uh, 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 linear time is not under the dominion of Kronos, uh, in my opinion, or under the dominion of the Saturnine deity, um, who provides another type of time which is unconnected to that um, pursuit, uh, the futile pursuit of a future. And this is, we can also see um, the results and manifestations of this in the pandemic, where people in the West who were so saturated and used to um, plotting their future suddenly um, uh, developed all kinds of um, anxieties and PTSD type um, phenomena because suddenly um, they were confronted with uncertainty, um, a future which was suddenly uncertain, um, something that they haven't really um, anticipated or um, experienced um, for um, probably um, at least one or two generations. Um, people were suddenly um, confronted with um, existential questions um, which um, uh, they were unused to before. A place like Haiti or other places, um, that it was no problem. People cannot plan into the future because they lack the money, they lack the resources, they lack, um, they have to focus on survival. So. Um, these uh, people uh, there didn't have that uh, problem, also because um, their rootedness in the spirit and the logocentric forms of experience are not as strong. So um, I love to use the pandemic as that um, uh, perfect example of how um, this, the disruption of our linear timeline and our walking along it with this type of anxious planning mentality has um, thrown us off into uh, a big collective crisis. You know, I think it's it's just fascinating with this whole notion of losing track of like linear time, because I mean, that's such a common staple of so many, uh, you know, paranormal experiences, UFO phenomena, right. um, you know, even experiences with entheogens and that kind of thing. Um, right. It does seem to be a crucial component that's not really, um, I think, considered as much as it should be. For sure. For sure. Time and space are, are such things um, that uh, yield, in my opinion, a lot, of, a lot of potential for further investigations from all kinds of different sides, because um, as, you, as you rightly said, I mean, ayahuasca or any or hallucinogens in general um, already um, allow the, uh, let's call it profane person, um, to experience um, something that's completely at odds with linear time or even um, a space the way they would experience it in um, their normal conscious, um, self-conscious ways, right? Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah, it also kind of makes me think of the, um, you know, the reports of the fairy encounters and so forth in the Middle Ages. Right. Well, of course, there's the, um, the famous ballad uh, Tom, of Thomas the Rhymer. Um, yeah, that really gets into that. Right. Um, but anyway, getting into some of the more well-known uh, contemporary Saturnine currents, you inevitably have to bring up the Brotherhood of Saturn or the Fraternus Saturnia, FS right. for short. 
So how does your system differ from the classical FS prior to the any number of schisms? <laughs> well, the FS is a very interesting um, current for sure. I mean, especially from a historical perspective. I mean, I'm also a historian, so um, I have studied um, uh, the you know current of the. I'm a German guy, so uh, every German that is interested in esotericism has come across the FS and. Um, I have had some initiatic exposure to them as well and to, to their currents. So um, I know quite well what I'm talking about here. Um, DFS is very interesting. Um, one of the most interesting, in my opinion, of course, um, also let's call it um, a Western, classical Western esoteric orders, um, uh, more quirky than um, many others out there. Um, not so much today, we, like you said, um, uh, when the old grandmaster Gregorius was still alive, this is the FS that I'm interested in and I'm referring to. Um, uh, they have since um, schismed into um, a gazillion uh, uh, fractions. So um, the Fraternity Saturni has a curious um, view on Saturn, um, uh, which is very much um, in league with um, a, a, a very Western transcendental um, idealistic outlook, um, even though it may not appear so on the surface. The FS um, understands uh, Saturn as um, the ruling force of the current age. Um, Saturn is at the edge of um, um, the universe, uh, the solar system, which um, is important for us in our human experience. So they have this interesting cosmogonic um, myth where um, the sun hurled the planets in our uh, solar system out into uh, the cosmos um, uh, uh, and basically spat them out. Um, so Saturn is there seen as a type of lost, uh, lost sun of the sun, where um, the ignorant part of Saturn doesn't, um, and there you can see, of course, the classical Gnostic myth um, playing into it. Um, Saturn is um, divided into a lower and a higher octave. Um, the lower octave uh, is the, um, uh, 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 the lost sun who does not remember his solar past. Um, and it's basically um, a type of um, a problematic force um, which uh, influences um, humanity in a problematic way. Um, it's called like um, the satanic octave or the lower octave is the satanic um, seductive powers, which um, uh, to make it very short and simple would probably um, correspond to the um, Tellurian um, powers, um, the female uh, aspects of um, uh, sexuality and um, uh, everything that's considered to be Tellurian and what I consider to be the cosmic, um, uh, uh, erotic, uh, uh, phenomenal uh, uh, demonic powers. Um, this is considered to be um, uh, the problematic lower octave of Saturn, which is then contrasted with the higher octave of Saturn. Um, <clears throat> which could uh, basically, uh, which retains its um, previous solar um, uh, glory and um, has its own type of flavor, um, which um, allows us then through discipline, um, uh, uh, detachment and um, a certain faculty of will to tame and dominate those lower octave um, faculties um, and through this process of um, transformation, um, basically diffuse 
the negative impact of um, the problematic aspects of Saturn and through this then um, basically rise to a position um, where through the higher um, faculties of Saturn we can reach out um, beyond Saturn to uh, transcendental um, influxes um, and uh, 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 energies while at the same time um, uh, benefit from that uh, original um, solar quality that Saturn um, carries within um, itself. So um, Saturn basically um, is a very ambiguous figure here um, and the positive um, uh, aspects of Saturn, however, are um, uh, very much um, these logocentric ideas of um, uh, castigating yourself, hardship, um, discipline, uh, subjugation of drives and um, of, of, of erotic um, excess, um, moderation, the typical, uh, what you would uh, probably consider typical Prussian, German Prussian uh, ideals. Um, these help you in your magical processes um, to overcome those um, uh, problematic Tellurian um, uh, uh, demonic um, steerings um, and, and powers in the world. So um, uh, this is a very, very, very short and um, uh, very, uh, yeah, a brief overview of, 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 of how I see uh, the FS um, essential uh, as F, FS gnosis. Um, and my own uh, view, of course, um, of Saturn, we have already described. Um, I believe Saturn to actually be um, essentially Saturn um, in its lower uh, uh, octave. So um, that which the FS um, kind of like demonizes and um, feels they must overcome or um, channel into uh, 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 um, higher idealistic um, uh, frameworks and patterns, um, that which has to be dominated, um, tamed and subjugated. Um, that is what I believe to be um, the actual um, Saturnian qualities, which we have to unleash further uh, in order to um, truly uh, unleash our own potentials as a demonic force um, and um, uh, do not, of course, have to further um, control, imprison, um, and chain those um, faculties and those essences um, to um, move out of that cosmic environment um, which we are um, presented with. So. Um, DFS can be seen as a typical um, transcendental uh, Western effort um, with a lot more interesting aspects to it than most other um, magical paradigms um, and a little bit more acceptance of um, what they would call the darker forces, um, which uh, are of course the demonic forces of the lower Saturn. Um, uh, positive, however, only because they can be used and transformed um, towards uh, more idealistic um, uh, goals. So um, essentially, they still remain, of course, a typical traditional um, transcendental effort, um, which then, of course, um, differs from mine, essentially, because um, I combat the uh, transcendental structure and überbau, and um, I want to cut uh, the cord or 
better better said you cannot really cut the cord i want to reverse the process of um, uh, subjugating basically uh, the spiritual faculties in service of the soul so um, it would be um, a vice versa process i guess mm, so uh, yeah basically that's the main difference a different weighing of the different of the octaves although i don't believe saturn has another octave i think saturn is only one octave and that's the one um the fraternitas saturni um demonizes um and the higher octave which they project onto saturn is uh, basically um a, a, a transcendental um spirit um uh, derived um projection which um, uh, distort the uh, natural um, essence of Saturn and has, in my opinion, um, not anything to do with Saturn as um, I uh, perceive him as a cosmic, um, uh, primordial cosmic titanic deity. Uh, one thing I was uh, curious about, um, did the FS have the concept of the, what is it, the Nightside Tree of Life, like Kenneth Grant um, later adopted or later had in his system? Well, um, I think not as um, uh, explicit as um, Kenneth Grant did, um, but they did not shy away from these uh, type of forces. So, of course, they would engage with, with Lilith and um, with all kinds of um, uh, forces which um, uh, were probably considered to be of that um, cliffotic nature. Um, so, uh, Do you however, know the, only, yeah. Do you know where the concept of the Nightside uh, Tree of Life originated from? And has it always had that kind of Saturnine association with it? Well, the concept of the of the Knights of the Tree of Life um, uh, originated in the in the uh, Kabbalistic uh, teachings. So they come from the. Um, oh, the so it does go all the way back then. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It does. It does. But of course, um, the Hermetic um, Kabbalah and um, you know, I guess uh, a lot of modern notions um, of the uh, Cliffotic Tree of Life are. Mm, while they do have, of course, um, some, I guess, um, ingredients from those um, uh, 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 scriptures um, from the from the old days, um, are, are of course um, have a lot of new inventions and 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 twists and turns um, integral to it, which are, I guess, modern inventions or modern or modern um, uh, modern distortions, you could say. So um, same as the Hermetic Kabbalah is kind of a creation of a more recent time, um, uh, the, the Kabbalah we encounter in, in Dune Fortune and other, and other people um, is not so much in Golden Dawn, is not so much, I guess, the Kabbalah you would encounter in rabbinic uh, traditions. Um, so uh, um, although they have overlaps, of course. Um, but um, I guess Kenneth Grant was very strong in presenting a certain image of um, the cliffotic tree and um, some other people um, uh, help there uh, pretty much but today it becomes a strange demonology where everybody basically um, projects anything onto it uh, they want anything dark forbidden and uh, um, uh, with a dark tinge you know can be fitted into the um, uh, nightside kabbalah by um, you know, uh, edge lords, dark fluffs, and um, you know, uh, and some even more serious people. <laughs> All right, now we've uh, 
talked a little bit about Voodon throughout this, um, uh, and you've also addressed a bit the Saturnine current in that. Is there anything else you wanted to add and how it relates to your work? Well, um, in, in, in classical voodoo, I always um, have a, sometimes a hard time trying to um, really find like Saturnine deities per se in every system one encounters. So one shouldn't even really do that. But one can definitely um, trace certain um, uh, Saturnine um, uh, essences within uh, various systems, especially when you operate from a type of um, uh, a meta system like mine, where I believe there is an antagonism between the spirit and the soul, between this, uh, the soul and body and the spirit, basically. Um, I, I, I would follow Ludwig Klages here, um, who um, uh, basically defined that there is an antagonism, um, the spirit as the adversary of the soul, that I believe I have that type of Gnostic Überbau uh, in my in my work that um, I believe we live in a time where these forces um, are in conflict with each other and um, uh, we have to crush the force of the spirit um, uh, a lot more in order to return to a more um, holistic um, type of life experience. So um, I do believe that, um, of course, um, um, you find Saturnine traits in voodoo everywhere because voodoo still is uh, largely uh, a biocentric um, uh, uh, religion. It has a lot of uh, strongly biocentric traits. Um, so, however, do you find a Saturnine deity in there like Kronos or, or some others? Um, maybe not, but um, I would think, for example, of course, it's well known, um, the Baron, um, you know, uh, the, the Baron of, of Voodoo who's related uh, to, to the dead, the, the figure that um, appears in, in uh, imagery with um, sunglasses that has one shade um, intact and one shade broken out, um, which then, of course, um, relates to his faculty of gazing with one eye um, into the life, uh, into the world of the living and with one eye uh, into the realm of the dead um, uh, where he rules. Um, this type of um, deity is strongly Saturnian in the sense that Saturn is also a deity that uh, basically connects the living and the dead um, uh, 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 in a type of um, open life, uh, which I try to um, characterize by um, the borderless interaction between the living and the dead, um, where there is no transcendental um, uh, gap or there's no gap between the world and the transcendence where those um, forces couldn't interact. So um, the figure of the Baron, um, to me, to me um, has that Saturnian aspect of um, uh, 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 mating the world of the living with the world of the dead. He's also related to Eros and erotic. Um, he, the, 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 the spirits that he rules over um, are characterized by very erotic um, uh, attitudes and they do erotic dances and they have um, erotic jokes and um, um, are related to fertility and stuff like this. And there you can see the strong relation between Eros and Thanatos. Um, and how this then reflects back to the worldview I try to evoke throughout our discussion. Um, uh, that world in which, um, you know, uh, uh, the dead, um, you know, uh, are erotically um, related to the living in that sense of um, uh, 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 the eros who binds the worlds together, who the eros, um, the cosmogonic eros, who, um, uh, weaves that web of magnetisms, which um, you know uh, allows us to 
made in that demonic sense uh, of um, the world being structured into demonic powers. So um, uh, the, 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 the Baron, uh, as that deity, which rules over many of these aspects, which are very Saturnian from my perspective, could be considered that. Um, then I also see Saturnian traits, especially in um, spirits related to um, the wild, um, they call it uh, Petro spirits or Bizango spirits. There are, there are certain rites in voodoo, certain groups of spirits which have a very fiery nature. And there's a, uh, one in, uh, there are some in particular um, which are uh, the spirits that are derived largely also from uh, the Haitian experience of the revolution, the struggle um, uh, against slavery, um, the struggle for freedom. Um, and these um, uh, deities um, that derive from that experience often um, display, um, in my opinion, these uh, Saturnian traits of um, uh, fighting um, opposition from above. Um, they are fighting structures which um, keep uh, people in bondage. Um, these um, spirits are often um, depicted as uh, uh, maimed, um, physically impaired, um, having limbs um, removed, uh, and so on, distorted figures. Um, which um, just emphasizes um, their uh, 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 life of struggle or their engagement with struggle. Um, they, are, uh, uh, they often come with rage. They often display rage and anger, um, um, which is then part of their power if you know how to harness it. And this kind of um, anger at um, the lost world to me is uh, part of that what symbolizes to me the Saturnian character of the Saturnian spirits that I work with or the spirits that help me in my work to uh, oppose um, the um, metaphysical powers of the current world order. These spirits that I work with, demonic powers or the powers of hell, the legions um, of the whatever, Clifforth, um, these powers often display a certain rage, a certain anger, a certain uh, hotness, a certain violence, um, because they were um, robbed of their um, appropriate place and position, and um, that rage and anger helps us to restore um, the reality which we want to claim back from the oppressors. So um, I see a lot of Saturnine traits in certain aspects of uh, Haitian voodoo, especially, and um, uh, 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 but they must be discussed in that way. That these are aspects. This is, could be a Saturnian aspect, or that could be a Saturnian aspect. Um, I wouldn't say that there is a deity called Saturn um, um, per se uh, in in Haitian voodoo, but um, that's not necessary because. Um, uh, uh, it's enough to find that these um, uh, Saturnine um, traditions or these Saturnine currents, um, that type of force that opposes um, another metaphysical force that exists in that tradition. These, these, these things do exist. So um, I find them, especially of course, when I approach it from my own Gnostic Überbau. All right, to wrap up, 
uh, how about some of, uh, let's get into a little bit of what I uh, like to refer to as the Lovecraft uh, mythos. People like Michael Bertrio and Jeffrey Evans went to great lengths to incorporate Vudan and Santeria into their respective systems. What are the differences between some of these approaches and your own? Well, um, of course, Michael Bertiu um, is a dear old friend of mine, and I used to be the uh, head of his uh, magical orders. Um, so I'm very familiar with uh, Michael Bertiu's work. Not so much, um, I never even heard uh, really, I think, the name of the other um, gentleman. Um, or maybe he's related to Kenneth Grant stuff. I, I think it rings yeah, a bell. Yeah, like, he was, yeah, yeah. yeah, Evans, he was in, uh, I think Grant addressed him beyond the Miyavi zone and there was just a book right. uh, released okay. right to the mummy by Peter Levine. All right, all right. Okay, so yeah, it does ring a bell, but 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 very, 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 very far back in my memory. So, um, well, um, so, so the question was um, how that they incorporated voodoo and other things into your system? What exactly... Um, well, specifically too, with like the use of like Lovecraft, uh, like what was okay. it you think about like Lovecraft's uh, deities that they found appealing, and um, did okay. that have uh, you know an interest to you? And why, if not, why not? Right. Uh, okay. Well, um, I believe like uh, Michael Bertiu. Um, I mean, of course, I can I can I can speak mostly about his work because I was so familiar with it. Uh, I'm still I still am. Um, I do believe that Michael Bertiu saw these Lovecraftian invasions um, similar to Grant. Um, uh, and um, also the more um, radical aspects of um, what he took from voodoo, um, he saw them as um, uh, uh, kind of like uh, raw, catonic um, material, which could basically empower when it is harnessed appropriately and used properly, could be actually harnessed and used to empower um, a type of transcendental revolution of the self. So um, Michael Bertiu and Kenneth Grant as well, um, uh, but I'm, I'm, I'm speaking uh, of Michael Bertiu's mainly now, um, is of course, after all, a radically idealistic transcendental system. So um, uh, his incorporation of voodoo is not so much that he basically has a system of voodoo that is then a bit westernized, but it's exactly the opposite. Um, there is very little voodoo in Michael Bertiu's voodoo. So um, it's just unfortunately called voodoo um, gnosis uh, in that sense and gives people a wrong idea. They think literally they're dealing with voodoo and then they're, they're surprised what they find once they're in it. Uh, once they're in it. Um, Michael Bertiu's uh, work is a highly complex and interesting um, esoteric idealism, which um, is uh, designed to um, bring the human being in harmonious relations with um, the transcendental um, source, the 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 the, the mayon or um, uh, he calls it. He ca he calls the ultimate source the Ein Sof. Um, that's that to him is the nothingness, the the ultimate source that um, you know um, brings things into being um, in that uh, form of uh, static being, um, which um, all the uh, systems of emission and of um, uh, development towards grosser th grosser things um, uh, discuss and talk about. So Bertie uses those. Um, 
let's call it the most dark or the most radical um, uh, 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 bits and pieces like the Lovecraftian um, uh, uh, symbolism and um, some of those are more radical um, voodoo uh, terminology to uh, show that um, this could be fodder for the um, uh, transformational process um, which we uh, need to undergo in order to um, create our own mental universe and incarnate our own mental um, reality. Um, and this is, um, I guess, a little bit uh, similar when I think about it, a little bit similar to the FS, um, who also sees that, um, let's call it um, demonic um, uh, 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 strata that uh, kind of like, um, yeah, well, let's call it cliffotic strata as a uh, uh, dangerous um, but potentially a raw material uh, um, which to um, uh, employ for their more transcendental um, uh, projections and pr transcendental goals. And Bertiu is um, uh, a lot more daring, of course, than the Fraternis Saturni in his um, uh, explicit uh, uh, explanations and, 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 and descriptions of those types of processes, which, however, are always under the dominion and under the um, direction of the mental and higher faculties. So um, his interest is there. His interest is um, the rediscovery and um, uh, 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 non-denial of those um, deep, dark urges, um, those deep and dark demonic aspects, um, which ultimately, however, um, for Bertiu, it's all part of the mind, because uh, for him, the universe is entirely mind. So um, you even could have a Jungian aspect in there, um, a radical Jungianism, maybe. Um, so um, you, can, you can see um, that there is an engagement, uh, a type of a process of engagement with the darkest aspects of the universe, whether you want to call it um, external demonic or internally demonic, um, uh, which doesn't shy away from confrontation with these powers. And his system basically allows you to um, prepare for the reception and the engagement um, but only um, for the um, processing uh, them into uh, higher ideals and to move the person um, and his mental reality um, into uh, higher states of awareness um, so that um, basically by reaching the ultimate goal, um, he can um, attach himself to that nothingness, which allows him then to incarnate his own uh, mental reality. Um, so, um, in many ways, he could. Um, uh, in many ways, he could see as uh, we could be. We could be considered brothers um, uh, uh, that are so close uh, to each other, um, but at the same time so far away. So we deal um, with many of the of similar um, uh, uh, processes, um, but designed um, towards different ends. Um, of course, and I do not um, uh, personally subscribe to any type of mental um, uh, model where um, anything that we encounter in the universe is part of a, a, a mental uh, a oneness, a mental framework um, in which we are only we are all only fractions and, and fragments. Um, I believe, of course, in um, the 
independent reality of the external world and the demonic forces uh, that we encounter are external to us and not internal to our mental faculties and our mental space or any type of um, transcendental um, ego or any type of um, uh, mental uber space, let's call it. Um, this is um, the, this is the biggest difference, of course, between um, also uh, me and, and Michael Virtue. Um, <clears throat> so um, their use of voodoo and and, and those type of terminolo terminologies is simply to explain um, their kind of machinations. Um, their kind of processes is not so much that uh, Michael Berti, for example, has taken a genuine system of voodoo and um, basically um, explains this to us, but he's taken um, a very, very um, Western philosophical idealism um, uh, that has oftentimes also a lot of theosophical undertones um, and uses at times when it is convenient voodoo terminology and sometimes he even then uses Lovecraftian terminologies to try to illustrate um, what he's trying to do, um, trying to illustrate what the processes are that we have to undergo in this type of alchemical transformation. Um, and my personal work with voodoo is very different. I approach voodoo as a voodooist would, um, that the forces, um, the voodoo forces, the voodoo spirits are um, encounterable in the external world, external from my own organism, from my own um, uh, uh, mental faculties. Um, and uh, uh, I, of course, um, operate within voodoo like um, like a, like an like like it's a, like a, like a system in itself. Like like I do not take voodoo out of voodoo, but I leave it in what it is. So uh, my operation within voodoo is um, uh, strongly tied to um, the system we find in Haiti and um, voodoo as uh, a way to um, encounter and bond with cosmic forces and manifest these experiences in a magical way. Um, in in healing, in um, uh, uh, knowledge of my place within the universe, um, voodoo to me is um, an intimate relationship with the cosmos, an inter an intimate relationship with uh, the forces that make up the cosmos, whether they are natural forces, um, na the na nature in itself, um, the leaves, the trees, the water. Um, uh, voodoo allows me to sensuously and um, intimately um, connect with that type of um, universe, uh, with this cosmic universe, with the Tellurian universe in a very, very intimate way, um, which is ultimately my goal. Um, and I do not take it out of its context in order to um, do the uh, contrary to um, uh, push myself out of this world into some kind of mental realm where um, the natural universe um, is either a projection or uh, has absolutely um, no primary status. Well, sir, it has been a pleasure having this discussion with you. Um, I hope the listeners have Likewise. enjoyed it as much as I have and uh, we'll have to have you back I've enjoyed it a lot, yeah. All right, guys. That's great. Well, I'm looking forward to, to seeing uh, <laughs> this appear. It's, uh, it's been a long, it's been a long chat. I hope people are not going to be over challenged. But yes, uh, obviously we're here for 
quite a long time. So um, I really did enjoy that. Thank you very much. Yes, yes. Thank you, thank you very much for uh, dropping by. And uh, yeah, I think this will uh, provide a lot of interesting avenues for the uh, listeners to explore. And so. on that note, uh, as always, thank you guys for listening and good night and good luck to you all.